it's been an age. How long has it been? It's been an age and another age. Like it I feels multiple ages. ages. Multiple yeah. ages. Like the Jurassic period went by. The uh, what are the other periods besides uh, Jurassic? There's the Jurassic period. There's the post-Jurassic period. There's, there's the pre-Jurassic and the pre is on the, those are the three pre- ages of yeah eras. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, <laughs> after a long vacation. Uh, to when Doves podcast season three season. Th- can you believe it, folks? I can't believe it. We I are can't believe it. marching proudly and confidently into the third decade of his music. We well, are fourth, honestly, but you know what I mean. But you know what I mean. We all we all know what you mean. We're we're so happy to be back. Thanks for uh, for sticking with us. We we had a, we took our sort of end of summer vacation. Ed, how was the end of your summer? It was great. I mean, I had a little family vacay time, which, which was fantastic. But I, I mean, I honestly want to talk about you, Jack, because I believe you were overseas for a little period of time. I was. I went over to Scotland, which what? was quite an amazing adventure. Went over to Scotland to take part in the Edinburgh uh, Theater Festival, mm-hmm. um, which was an incredible experience. It was actually not just a theater festival. It was theater, dance, music. Uh, there was a book festival. There was a film festival. It's all happening at the same time. Uh, 3,300 shows, all kinds of stuff. I saw stand-up comedy. I saw theater. I saw dance. I saw, um, I saw some incredible musical performances. I saw some great jazz. I saw some, uh, David Bowie tribute related things. I didn't see anything Prince related. Mm, okay. Um, now that doesn't mean there wasn't, but there was so much stuff going on that I just, I didn't see any that was happening. However, having said that, I was at a club. Um, in Edinburgh, that had a picture of him on the wall, so that I, I guess that counts. There you go. <laughs> That's something. That's, That's something. something. That's something. So yeah, it was a great trip. We were over there for ten days and and uh, had a really great experience. And we were right there, right before the Queen died. I was going to say you were there in the UK. Yeah. You leave the Queen dies. Well, listen, we don't need to dive too deep into that. Let's just mm-hmm. let that lie because mm-hmm. we might be. Uh, yeah. Listened in even as we speak. Um, but uh, yeah, we were there right before the queen died. We went to the queen's palace, which was pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Um, the Holy Rood Palace, it was called. It was pretty, pretty cool. We went on the tour of that. It was pretty awesome. Ed, how was the end of your summer? You had, you just came back from a little trip. I had, I did have a nice little trip. So I was in Chicago and Denver. Um, uh, Chicago was primarily, I've seen some baseball down there. I went to Wrigley, and I have to say, that my Prince moment on that that trip was actually at Wrigley Field because the, the first I went to a night game and a day game back to back. The night game, I forget what inning it was. It was maybe midway through the game, maybe sixth inning or so. You know, they have a wonderful organ player. My man was jamming and playing an instrumental version of 1999. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, did I try to record this? But like, when would I introduce this music bit into our podcast? But I was right. like, okay, you go Wrigley Field organist playing 1999, playing Great. all the lyrics and the whole night thing with the little drum track underneath it. I was like, what? That's awesome. That I was love really it. Fun. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I'm glad you had such a great time. I'm sorry to say we did not make it to the Prince experience. We We had talked about that a lot. We didn't, didn't make it, it happen. That's on us. We know some other folks got there. Bonnie, we know you got there. We great might have photos for Bonnie. Looking great, Bonnie, by the way. Great. Bonnie looks great. And Bonnie might have to come on back on as a guest maybe to tell us about the Prince cool. experience. Bonnie, we're going to talk to you about that. Um, but regardless of that, listen, uh, now it's autumn. The yeah, weather is yeah. changing. The days are shorter. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect time to hunker down and dive deep into the 
early 2000s catalog of our man. Wouldn't you say, Ed? Oh, my God. And this first album, I don't know about you, Jared, but I found this such a joy. This is one you want to dig deep into. Yeah, you got to dig real deep. You got to dig real deep. Of course, what we're talking about is the Rainbow Children. We are back. Or are we talking about the Rainbow Yeah, we might be talking... <laughs> Don't adjust your set. How many people have turned off the episode? Well, after? well Ben, no. a lot of them. Uh, don't adjust your set, everybody. We're talking about the Rainbow Children, and um, longtime listeners of the pod will know that Ed and I have been looking forward to this one in particular for quite a long while. Yep, that's the truth, you know. And I mean, I, I do. Well, let me ask you this, Jared. Do you recall this at all? on your radar in the year this was released i know we're getting i don't want to get ahead of facts and figures but this was released in 2001 correct like correct 2001 yep um what do you recall if anything well that's a great question you know so i i do remember it coming out um we were also i i mean not to get ahead of it but it, it was released on november 20th 2001 so not too long after september 11th right yeah And it's kind of hard to remember anything in that time period, right? It was all such a swirl. We were still in the, in the depth of that moment, that awful moment for the nation. So, um, cultural stuff kind of, I don't know, it sort of just skated by me, but I knew that this had come out and I knew that it was going to be a really in-depth, supposedly exploration of Prince's faith as he had converted to Jehovah's Witness, um, and all that sort of stuff. And I also have a very vivid memory of the album cover, which we're going to talk about later. Yeah. Um, so all of that was in my mind. What about you, Ed? What, what do you remember about it? I, I mean, I recall it vividly because I was a member of his music club at the time. And he pre-released this as a download before that November release. So I think it was, well, maybe it's in your facts and figures. I can't remember, but it, I think it was released right before September 11th um, to the MPG Music Club. I was in Salt Lake City during 9-11 because I was out there on business. And I remember just I was listening to this almost nonstop, even after everything that happened. Um, but I was quite taken by the album right off right out of the gate. Like, I remember I worked for a company called Half.com by eBay at the time. And I remember leaving a review for the album like this is the one, folks, you've been waiting for Prince to make his big statement album. This is the album. I remember writing that review at the time. Because I was all about the this album, I just thought it was such a. Um, uh, I, I don't want to give it all away, but like I just felt like it was a well delivered. It was conceptualized, and he executed on the concept. I thought very well. We'll talk about whether you agree or don't agree with the content of the album. That's a right. whole other story. That's a whole other thing. But in terms right. of what he was trying to accomplish with the album, what he did accomplish, I think it's stunning. So, yeah. So I think, though, that wherever you fall on the fence of the Rainbow Children, it is certainly a polarizing record. People have very strong opinions about it. Either they don't like it at all, or they're maybe a little bit more passionate about it, like Ed and I are. We'll see when we get to the reviews. Um, they're all over the place. They are all yeah. over the place. And a lot of them are very, very negative, needless to say. But there are a few that I found that are pretty positive. But we'll. We'll we'll talk about that when we get there. You know, and it's an interesting, as a Prince fan, I mean, it's an interesting time for me because I really was rooting for Rave to be a big hit album for him. 
Yeah. I didn't quite, and I tried, I tried hard. I listened to it a lot. I really wanted to like it more um, than I did. It didn't have a lot of stay, stay quality for me. Like I kind of got bored with the album after right. not too long into the listen. And I remember introducing to a lot of friends who weren't Prince fans and they weren't quite that taken by the album and right. I can understand it. So when this came, I think the thing that I loved about it was like, he was like, and it's probably part of the reason I wrote that review that I somewhat quoted. I think it was somewhat along the lines of what I said before. Like, I just felt like he was like, fuck this. I'm going to put out whatever the fuck I want to, after trying to move a commercial hit, I'm going back to, this is what I want to do. This is a personal statement. I want to make be damned. What happens of it? I just want to do it. And I, I tipped my hat. Cause I was like, that's what it felt like to me. And I thought the amount of thought effort, concept and the musical ideas were to me are just are just nonstop stunning through this whole yeah. piece agreed yeah. agreed it's going to be exciting to uh to dive into this one today for everyone yeah. uh, we look forward to your thoughts before we jump in though i do have three pieces of information for our prince in the news feature please prince, prince in the news in um the news. three things i wanted to share i don't know if people saw this so one was just recently Rolling Stone magazine, who, of course, we reference quite often, just released their 100 greatest songs of the year 1982. Did you see this, Edward? No, 1982 specifically. Okay. 1982, because it's the 40th anniversary of 1982, I guess. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. That would make a lot of sense. There you go. And uh, number two on the list was Little Red Corvette. There you go. Little Red Corvette, and it's an interesting little um, it's an interesting little entry, and I'm going to read this uh, real quick. So yeah, tell me what you think here. Yeah. So number two, Little Red Corvette, everything cool about the 20th century in one convenient package. Prince grabbed the keys in Little Red Corvette, taking all the fervid avant-garde music ideas in the air and making them rock. He made the album of the decade with 1999. What? Its main competition, his own sign of the times. Ooh. Not Purple Rain. Yeah, Isn't Purple Rain not mentioned. Not mentioned. Little Red Corvette became his first top 10 hit, despite lyrics about falling for a girl with a pocket full of used Trojans, while proving himself pop's most inventive singer. Listen to the way he purrs, I started to worry. Nobody has ever sounded less worried. <laughs> <laughs> the Rolling Stone critics voted Prince the rock artist of 1982. As guitarist Des Dickerson told Billboard's Michelangelo Matos, Prince got inspired by the, quote, new romantic thing, getting hooked on Duran Duran and Spando Ballet. It was the year the world went electro from the Bronx to Detroit to Manchester to Kingston, but Prince out-freaked everyone with a song that's been making it all right for the past 2,000 Saturday nights. Wow. So, um, first of all, we love we love Little Red Corvette. Yeah, but it is fascinating that he doesn't even mention Purple Rain. So interesting. Nineteen ninety nine is the album of the decade. That's interesting. Very interesting. Can I ask you? I don't know if you have this. What was number one? Uh, yes, I do have it. Uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. The message. Oh wow! Okay, number one is sure. number one. Uh, and I have it right here. Number three was Billy Jean. Okay. Uh, number four was this was a surprise to me. Wolves Lower by REM, which is a great song. 
I'll have, great I don't song. even know that track, and I, I consider myself an REM fan. So I'll have yeah, to that's on their Chronic Town EP uh, debut. Wow. Okay. So there was that. Uh, number five was Duran Duran, Hungry Like the Wolf. Number six was New Order, Temptation. Okay. Number seven was The Go-Go's, Vacation. Wow. Uh, number, where am I? Number eight was George Clinton, Atomic Dog. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Number nine was, Ed, this will be right up your alley, Grace Jones, Nipple to the Bottle was number nine. Old Grace. And number 10 was Culture Club, Time, Clock of the Heart. Interesting. Yeah, that's the top 10. Interesting. They put Of all the Culture Club tracks of that year, that was the one they picked was Time. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting list. It's up on Rolling Stone's website right now if anyone wants to check it out. So it's a very interesting list. The other two things I want to mention, these both come from uh, a website called Consequence. It used to be called Consequence of Sound. I don't know if anybody knows that site, but it's one that I look to for music news and, you know, pop culture news and stuff like that. They recently did uh, their list of the 100 greatest albums of all time. And number one was Purple Rain. Ooh, hey there, Purple Rain. Over the Beatles, Dylan, the Stones. Yeah, Aretha Franklin, every every other sort of big thing that you can think of. Captain Purple Rain Beat was number Art. one. But here's the other interesting thing about that list: no other prints on the list. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought that was interesting. And then, uh, so look that list up. It's an interesting read. Uh, and then finally, I wanted to mention this, Ed. You probably saw this, um, but there's recently just been released a new a new documentary about Sinead O'Connor. Yes. That's titled Nothing Compares is the title. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, for folks who haven't seen this, again, I thought this was interesting. The Prince Estate, primarily his half-sister, has denied that documentary the right to use the song Nothing Compares to You. Yep. Uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, the his, his sister, whose name is, uh, what's her name? Uh, Sharon. Her name is Sharon. She said that... Um, I didn't feel that Sinead O'Connor deserved to use the song my brother wrote in her documentary, so we declined. His version is the best, and he cite, she cites the one, the live one with Rosie Gaines from the Hits compilation. Okay. So I just thought that was an interesting bit of Prince in the News. Thank you. Thank you for that. Prince. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Thanks for that update. Topical stuff. Very good. Topical stuff. Topical stuff. Anyway, with that, with that being said, Ed, are you ready to do the rainbow? Oh, are you man. ready to taste the rainbow? Taste the rainbow. Taste um, the rainbow. By the way, those are the weirdest commercials in the world. But anyway, um, for Skittles. But um, Gemma, can you bring season three facts and figures? Yeah, let's do it. Season three, facts and figures. Here we go. The Rainbow Children. The Rainbow Children is Prince's 24th studio album, as we mentioned before. It was released on November 20th, 2001. Its length is 68 minutes and 49 seconds. Interestingly enough, uh, its genre is listed as jazz fusion. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Of course, Prince was the producer, and it was released on his own NPG label, of course. Um, it did reach, uh, 109 on the Billboard Hot 200 albums. Yep. It didn't have a proper single. It had one song that was released, 
as a free download. Ed, do you know what song that was? I think it was the work part one. Is that right? Correct. It was the work part one. That is correct. So it wasn't really a single. It didn't chart anywhere, but that was sort of the thing that was released. Um, It was the first album released outside of the MPG Music Club to be released under the name of Prince again, as he had reverted to his previous stage name from his symbolic, you know, the symbol from a year earlier. It was released on double vinyl with a glossy color booklet and was not available again on vinyl until 2020. And Ed, you and I both have copies of that vinyl. Yes, we do. It was a gorgeous edition, clear, clear vinyl, really cool. It came with a Rainbow Children uh, slip cover for your turntable. Yeah, really cool thing. It says here that musically, the Rainbow Children marked a shift back towards a more organic sound for Prince. Unlike its predecessors, the album featured live drums, lots of horns. Many of the songs were performed live during his 2002 One Night Alone tour, yep. which was a big success with fans and critics. Um, and the, the Rainbow Children was, was released through the independent distributor called Redline Entertainment and was released with minimal promotion as Prince, as per his wishes. That's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He wanted to focus more on the music and less on the sales factor. So as of uh, the, the the most recent information I could find, as of 2007, it had still only sold 158,000 copies hmm. in the U.S. Okay. Uh, and it's sold about a, a little more than half a million worldwide. Now, that data is old. Uh, that was the most recent update I could find. But there, I'm sure it's probably sold more by now. But either way, not a ton of records sold for him. Right. So here we go with some of our reviews and information. As we know, if, if folks remember, I was going to the Esquire ranking of all of Prince's records because it was pretty good. They ranked it 23rd. And Esquire said this, Prince is in full Jehovah's Witness mode here, having recently converted, but there's a huge amount of care poured into the Rainbow Children, even if it was markedly disconnected from the national mourning the 9-11 terrorist attacks prompted a couple of months before its release. Prince's skill as an arranger and band leader is at the fore, with faith-based spoken word jazz numbers blending naturally with sweet sentiments such as, she loves me for me. A great Sunday afternoon platter, provided you can get past the moralizing. There you go. That's Esquire. Yep. Stereo Gum, in its ranking systems, ranked it 22 Mm. and said this, The Rainbow Children, for better and worse, is one of his most settled collections. Sure, it starts off a bit gonzo, with Prince dropped to a subterranean pitch, intoning the tale of the wise one and the resistor over a soul jazz groove, Eddie Gale, it ain't, but the funk eventually asserts itself along with orchestral swirl scuttled by the mix. A compelling and ultimately problematic listen. Hmm. So there's that. Now, what I did here, because I found it so fascinating, I went through to uh, what's called Metacritic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And so Metacritic gives you a numerical value, right, to a review. So I have reviews here. The highest is 80. The lowest is 20. Yo. Which one would you like to hear, Ed? Uh, or, or pick something in the middle? <laughs> closest, I, I, number, closest without going over, I'll give you the review. I mean, I'd love to hear the low end and the high end. All right, here we go. The low end. So this is from Spin. Oh, wow. Okay. Spin said, the music, such as it is, is a river of fat-free, dirt-free, melody-free jazz olestra. Hmm. So that was Spin. The highest, 80, is from Q Magazine. Q's a a British uh, music magazine. They said this. 
his most consistent work since 1991's Diamond and Pearls, although you'll need to ignore the peculiar narrative episodes in order to fully enjoy it. Mm. Let's see. I'll pick out a couple of other interesting ones here. Let's see. Here's here. <laughs> this is the AV Club. They gave okay. it a 30. AV Club says, The Rainbow Children contains one good song, a ballad called She Loves Me For Me, buried beneath layers of spiritual horse shittery. (laughs) (laughs) There's that. That was the original title of the album, I believe. Yeah, I think it was. Horse shittery, I think is what he was going to go with. New York Magazine gave it a 70, and they said, with its fluttering horns, gauzy percussion, and the playing of smooth jazz saxophonist Najee, Prince's new album, The Rainbow Children, is steeped in the kind of fusion Miles Davis pioneered. There you go. So there's that. And again, there's some others here that are pretty interesting. This is the original Rolling Stone review. And it's not very long, but I think it's worth hearing. Yep. It isn't expedience. It isn't desperation. It isn't eccentricity of vision, per se. What compels Prince to continue expounding on his, on his idea of a spiritual, sexual, musical revolution remains a mystery all these records away from his greatest, most populist work. He's digging in his high heels harder than ever on the busy, portentous, the rainbow children. It cops jazz forms without swinging, gets James brownishly funky minus the urgency, and offers church interludes that are too mystical to carry earthly convention. Laid out as a series of chapters, the tracks provide a text for the every everywhereness of God and find him mostly in the bedroom. Heavily processed vocal intros provide a biblical weight to each number, as do Gnostic references to the banished ones, ambiguous numerology, ambiguous vegetarianism, and his talk of, quote, displaced bloodlines, end quote. But this is Prince. And if the laid-back jazz funk doesn't interest him, he can always get rowdy with the ladies. His admonishing tone and dubious history take a backseat to the fine, sexy stuff. The simple ballad, She Loves Me For Me, the grooving mellow, and one plus one equals three. But it's a long trudge across the desert to this heady water, especially with Freak in the Pulpit leading the way, waving his synthesizer of holy justice. Whoa, I like the writing on that. I don't know if I agree with them, but I like the writing. I like the writing on it, too. And then finally, I'll say this. The Rolling Stone album guide, which we also always reference, didn't even write anything about it, but they gave it one star. Hmm. One star out of five. So that is a smattering of... Can I ask you a question? Yes, please. Where's the dean in all of this? The dean didn't say anything about it. Dean's afraid to speak. He's afraid. I think he was afraid of the Rainbow Children. Yeah, he he didn't. I I was also surprised. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Bobby 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 C let us down on this one. Bobby um, C, I'm really upset with him. I, I I know. I'm upset too. But he did not have anything to say about the Rainbow Children. As shocking as that may be, at least I couldn't find it. If he did, that is shocking. You would think an album as interesting as this, he might have wanted to say a couple things about it. I would think so. You know what? Let me just to be sure. Let me just yeah. double check that I'm not wrong. Um. Because I don't, I don't think he said anything. Uh, let's see. I have his guide right here. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't say anything. He, in fact, doesn't review another album until Musicology. Wow. And he, and he only does. He only does four more. He does Musicology, Thirty One Twenty One, Planet Earth, and Artificial Age, and that's it. Gotcha. Yeah. 
I will say this. He does say in an article, in a write-up in 2004, he references uh, Rainbow Children, it looks like. And what um, does he say? He was talking about Cinnamon Girl from the Musicology album. But he says about color lines where the confusion of 2001's Rainbow Children made the same goal of travesty. It's doomed appeal to the good book reminds the prince is now a Jehovah's Witness, which bodes ill for his significance, he writes. Oh, so that was buried in the review for musicology. Yeah. A reference oh, interesting. to Rainbow Children. Yep. Interesting. Bobby yeah. C. Interesting. Bobby I did. I, I just want to say. As you know, I have reached out to Bobby C to see if I could get him to come on the show. He has, a, he has, as of yet, not responded to me. Bobby, I know you're busy. I know you're an avid listener, but just reach out. We can even come up to New York. We're hanging out and, on, and Bobby. have a coffee. Come on the show. Jeez, don't get Jeez, for God's sake, do it. Come on. Anyway, Ed, are you ready? Yes. To do this to this. Yes. For Rainbow Children. Yes. Here we go. Track number one, side one, The Rainbow Children, the title track, The Rainbow Children. mentioned how you hated those taste the rainbow commercials yes were you a fan of rainbow bright <laughs> not particularly you remember rainbow bright I, vaguely vaguely rainbow bright who out there everyone who's listening remembers rainbow bright raise your hand right now you remember rainbow bright she was like a she was like a, a strawberry shortcake what, what was that character's name strawberry oh man she was it was like a little doll right like, I, I i mean i vaguely remember but there was, but yeah, she wasn't like a rain. There was no rainbow on her, though, right? It was just. I, wasn't she like multicolored? Didn't she have like multi rainbow hair? Oh, maybe she did have multicolored hair. Or You're something? right. You might have been right. You might be right about that. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure someone will send us a photo of Rainbow Bright. And what do you think of the Rainbow Children, our opening title track? What do you think? We'll be back after a quick break. Is real music dying? What even is real music, and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician, and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird, and the deep questions, and we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer, or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in, and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, I love it. And and to me, I'm going to reference, and I know we we talked about we're changing the format a little bit as we get down to the end of these reviews where we're not going to be looking at necessarily songs that show the future, but maybe more about 
where Prince is pulling from the past in a new feature we'll call musicology. I'll let you get into that a little deeper as we get down. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. But I, I think there's DNA of interesting epic tracks that Prince has released previously. And it's not like he's copied it or he's kind of just doing a carbon copy of it or whatever. I just think it inspires it. It kind of builds a foundation. He does some interesting things. Like, for example, this song to me reminds me in structure and length of Crystal Ball. Huh. It, it goes all over the place. It's around the same length. And I think it takes us on a different type of journey than Crystal Ball, but a similar. There's a narrative involved. There's a story involved. And um, I think I think this has that kind of that DNA in there for Crystal Ball. But before I get into further about that, I mean, I think you have to start with the thing, right? And the, and the elephant in the room in this album is the voice. The voice. We got to talk about the voice, the right? Voice. Should we talk about it right off, right off the bat? I'm going to talk about it right now because right, we could probably do a podcast just on Prince's use of vocal effect. Because we could. We could. This is where I thought Prince was grabbing, and I thought he did this a couple times in this album. This is why I felt like this was a, a culmination of all his different musical ideas and history. He was grabbing features of his previous career, uh, other albums, and bringing them into this and using it and adapting it. Adaptive use, if you want to call it, readaptive use for this, this project. The 1999 opening with the vocal, I think, is so quintessentially a Prince thing. And I feel like he took that idea and decided I'm going to even go deeper with this. Like in that one, I was I was using the voice to talk about party and sort of um, redemption in in terms of we're going to party our way through this horrible time. Right. Which is not a, different from what Crystal Ball is talking about. I believe here he's saying I'm going to go even deeper. It's not about partying anymore. It's about this firm belief he had in this newfound faith he had for the Jehovah Witness that he became. And I feel that's where he's going with this. I don't mind the voice. I'm, I know I'm in the minority, but I don't mind the voice. I think it needs to, I think if it was just Prince's regular voice narrating this, it wouldn't work. I think if it was, if it was um, Camille narr- narrating the voice, it wouldn't work. I think there's something about this deep voice that gives us this sort of gravity and weight. And I also think that it's not dissimilar than what he, what he was doing, like saying the 1984 Purple Rain tour, when he would have the voice of God in the show, it was always a deeper voice. Think of the song Temptation, where he's talking to God and God has that deep voice. Like right. he's just using that, of course, he's using it way across a full album. It doesn't bother me at all, you know? Um, so I, I'm okay with the voice. I don't know if you want to talk about it or do you want to do it separately on your review of the, no, I can talk about it now since you brought it up. I mean, I, I I think your point is well taken. It is the elephant in the room. Yeah. It it permeates the record and it is the most, I think other than the, the theme of the record, it's the most polarizing aspect of it. Right. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think the question, the question why this voice, I think is the primary question that we have to ask as people who are analyzing the record. Why the changing of it? Why didn't he use his own voice? Why disguise it? You know, you've sort of laid out your theory there. Um, to me, and I don't disagree with your theory at all. I think like that's perfectly. Va- I think that's as valid as any other theory. This right. is the thought I had as I was listening to it. And uh, and to be clear, this thought occurred to me two thirds of the way through the album as as I was sort of just like letting it ruminate. Like what what is happening here? What does this mean? Not in terms of what the story is, but rather again, for him, what does it mean? I was wondering if it speaks maybe to more of a struggle 
of his wrestling with his new faith than he has allowed for to be seen publicly. That if 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 he was incredibly fully comfortable with what this faith meant to his music, would he have been more willing to not disguise his voice? Hmm. Um, I, I don't know that that's true, um, but I think it's a, it's a question of what does the faith mean for him and his music going forward? Yeah. Because it does affect it in certain ways. And we're going to talk about that again as we go through. But um, I, I don't know that that's correct, but I think it's an interesting question. I think it's an interesting thought exercise just to sort of ruminate on is that's twice I've used the word ruminate, which is a lot. Um, yeah. But just, you know, it is a disguise. It's a disguise of a certain point. Like, so, like, for example, let me put it this way. If he didn't want it to be him, why not hire somebody else? Why not hire an actor? Why couldn't why Morgan get, Freeman do it? Why couldn't Morgan Freeman? Oh, man. What if Morgan Freeman had done it? It would have been awesome. would be loving this album. They'd be Morgan. loving it. They'd be loving it. But, like, what if someone, like, why not hire somebody else? I think that's just an interesting question. And 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 the, the need to not only disguise his own voice, but to distort it and pitch it so low as to be, you know, sort of unrecognizable, although we all know that it's him. There's reason people, there's reasons that people wear masks, right? right. And this is a vocal mask, and it's just curious to me, and I don't, again, I want to be clear to everyone who's listening. I don't have an answer for it, and I'm not saying that what I believe is to be, or what I'm saying is correct. I'm yep. just saying it's a theory that yep. I wonder if it indicates more of a struggle than he was publicly saying. It's interesting. I think it's an interesting theory. I think, and I'd love to hear what people. Obviously, we want to hear your takes on this. Like, yeah, interpretation of the voice. Yeah. Also, I think it'd be fun to say, who would you pick as the actor? I would certainly pick Harvey uh, Firestein to be the, <laughs> the vocal narrator narrator for this particular. Gilbert Gottfried, may he rest in peace. Gilbert Gottfried or Sam Kinison, uh, any one of those. Any of those. Be, any of those. Be... Before we before we get too far afield, what did you think of the track? Yeah, yeah, let's get into this. Let's talk about that. I, yeah, let me get into just some of the music. So, I mean, listen, it's it's a it's obviously a jazzy fusion type of sound. I love the running bass line. Um, it almost it almost starts starts to border on a Broadway tune kind of feel to it, but not in a way that that I in the past he's hit that territory, and I've been like, Ugh, I don't quite feel it here. Like I feel like it works fine for what he's trying to say with the song. Like this sort of joyous song with a bunch of people like singing through the chorus. I think it makes sense, right? Um, I also, I mean, even just some of the, and I'll, I'll touch more, I'll go into some of the lyrics, but like, just like the sun, the rainbow children rise. And there's such a hopeful sound. Yeah. The music and to the music. And I, I really dig it. And I know we were focused on his deep voice. But again, like I said, I feel like he's pulling all his ideas and tricks into this. He goes and he uses Camille's voice for a while in the middle yeah. of this song. So he's like throwing everything into the pot here. And I think it actually works really well. The other thing that I I, I really love, and I, it's what I mean about him kind of looking at his past and pulling it into the future present here, when he says production of the new breed leader stand up and organize, which is directly from controversy. That's a line right out of the controversy us. Uh, I'm not sorry, not con it's controversy album, it's from sexuality. But like he pulls that specific line from his past from 1980, 81, 81, 81, and pulls it into this and says, okay, you know, 30 years or 20 years later, um, this is relevant again. I'm gonna make it and 
and reuse this, but for a new yeah. type of idea. I love that he's doing because he's kind of, I felt like he was bringing everything full circle for himself here. And I really loved it. Um, it's like all of Prince's characters from the past have joined together to pass along the message of this song. Like, I just, I just feel like that's what I love. And I love the build on Rise at the end. I mean, there's so much stuff going on. The song, the song is like, was it 10 minutes long? I forget what it is. There's but so much going on. Yeah. There's, there's a chord change, you know, there's all that stuff. Um, and I also think like the lyrics, you know, we could probably have a whole other th- theory, you know, talk about the lyrics themselves. Like, you know, um, say what you want. I think Prince is probably in the role. There's a lot of theories of what he's trying to say with this narrative, even though it's certainly a Jehovah witness influence. There's also a lot of people writing about that. This was a lot, this, this concept or content was very much influenced by Maite and what happened with him and Maite and their relationship, that he's the wise one in this story. She's the banished one that she was doing things to. She wasn't, quite on maybe game to go down the road of Jehovah witness and be that sort of that subjugation, whatever you want to call that was, was expected. And she was banished. And that was, you know, his, he does get remarried at some point and this new wife was the one. And that's why you start hearing the songs down the road in on this album. But um, that I find very interesting. And I, I do think his, his rapping quote unquote in this is again if you don't like the content i get it but like it's confident there's such a confident tone um in it like who is your real father the everlasting one the one who came from nothing and nothing you know everything comes i just there's such a confidence to this that i appreciate it like i appreciate his conviction behind this material um so again i think this is a really it's a this is one of his most amazing opening tracks of an album i think it's definitely up there for me and before we even finish, there's a segue at the end, which I think there's such a there's so many musical ideas, even in the segue from this song to the next. That in itself is fascinating. So I, I'll try to hold back for my comments on that. But what did you how did you feel listening through this track? Yeah, I, so I agree with you. I think it's it's one of his most fascinating opening tracks. And I mean, we in my night, my notes are sort of chronological through the song. So bear with me as I, as I go over them, but like we kick right off into that very group after the voice, we kick off into that groovy, groovy jazz riff. There's the piano, there's the clarinet, the horns, there's sort of a gliding riff to the tune. Um, there's an interesting effect when the chorus kicks in, that's sort of a sweeping sound that, that mm. is pan stereo. If you're listening in your headphones, it's more prominent in the right channel. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but it's more prominent in the right channel as you listen. And if you're listening to the headphones, man, oh man, dig that slinky guitar picking. That's oh. In there. oh, it's so great. I love it. I love it. I love it. Can I just um, say this real quick? I think that's some of his best just sort of uh, attack guitar since Sign of the Times, the song. Like he yes. he kind of has that same attack that he's doing here. Yes. That, that's for yes. Sign of the Times he brings it's it. It's very bright. It's very strong. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love the music of this whole track. I mean, and, and then it moves beyond a jazz tone and become something like, I don't know, almost robot-like, almost something computer-esque. You know, uh, uh, there's a similar stereo effect on that. You know, and the narrative, yeah, the narrative's about maybe God's chosen children rising up, etc. But in truth, for me, I don't really care what the message is here, except to say that it really dives deep into the mysticism that he's always played with, always tinkered with, and now it's a deeper dive than ever before. Yep. It's fully unleashed, right? There's nothing holding it back. It's almost, yep. to me, it's almost 60s psychedelic in tone, you know, against this ultra jazzy music. And I got to say, I know it's weird, 
but I, I super dig it. I super dig it, um, especially because it has this odd, pretty ominous sounding outro that feels like it's another track. Yeah, but it's not right. It's the same song. We get a little flute with that fat, thick guitar solo sound, which I love. It's very rich. It's very lush. And what's interesting here is that it slides up from a darker tone into something more hopeful, which which then slides down again into something aggressive, almost like metal-like, heavy metal-like, minor keys and things like that. Yeah. And there's like the strong. And what I perce- what I perceive that to be is a sonic expression of what he perceives the struggle of good versus evil. I suppose, mm-hmm. right? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so and there's just so much happening on this track musically. It's not easy to digest in one sitting. Um, but but it's fascinating. I think it's an utterly fascinating song. I can't agree with you more. Yeah, I absolutely agree with it. Like we I, we could just spend a, probably a podcast just talking about this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we could. Yeah, but we won't. But we, we won't because now we're going to move on. Move on, folks. This uh, track two from from Rainbow Children is a track called "Muse to the Pharaoh." Let me start with this. A little R.I.P. Pharaoh Sanders. Yes, R.I.P. to Pharaoh Sanders. Philadelphia's own, right? Philadelphia's own. Yeah, I did see that he passed away, which is a shame. I don't own any of his music. Do you have any of his stuff? I don't. I think, you know what, you say that. I think I might have bought something in the 90s, like, just because I bought it randomly, but I didn't really get into it. So Yeah, yeah. It's Yeah, He he was a complex musician. There was a lot of complex stuff. Yeah, he was sort of free form, if I recall, like very free yeah. jazz. So it was yeah, like, free jazz stuff. Yeah. yeah. Rest in peace. Pharaoh. Rest in peace, Pharaoh. Um, what do you think about this track? So so we start here with an electric piano, right? Which is where we sort of build on. And it's I gotta say, I, I may have said this at some point before. I love the sound of an electric piano. I love the sound of it. Um, but what's disconcerting about the track is if you're listening on your headphones or a system that has separate channels, the piano riff kind of wavers from one channel to the other in a very tight way yeah and i found it almost physically uncomfortable oh wow okay for a bit okay now you have to think that the at least this is my opinion you have to think that the intent of that was to disorient the listener somehow to throw them off i think so i don't know maybe not but this has this thick this song has a thick like adoration of the woman kind of vibe as an ideal um, I like the place where his vocal sits. A lo- I like it a lot, in fact. And he, how he's double-tracked himself for the harmony. And the lyrics are fascinating as well. So one of the lyrics is, the opposite of NATO is OTAN. Yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. Now, I looked that up, and I couldn't find precisely what he meant by that. There's a few things I found that maybe are related. OTAN is often used as the same thing as NATO. NATO, like the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, sometimes it's the same thing. They just flip it around. However, there's also an Egyptian god named Aton, A-T-O-N, oh, okay. who was a god of the sun. Oh. And given that we're talking about pharaohs, I wonder if this is a reference he was making, especially since he pronounces it as Aten rather than Oten. Because when you when you read the lyrics, it's spelled O-T-O-N, but he pronounces it like it's A-H-T-O-N. Interesting. So I, I don't know about that. Um, the track also has a late night vibe that I kind of dig. Uh, and there's, I'm going to say this a lot. 
There's great drumming on this track. Oh, great, God, great, yeah, great yeah. drumming on the track. So I like it. I like Muse to the Pharaoh, I think. What about you? Yeah, similar. I mean, I, I love the keys, uh, just the right amount of funk. And like I like you were commenting, I love the way the keys bounce around from ear to ear. Um, I, I'm Well, you didn't feel that way. I felt it was good. I thought this is a real head bobber. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, we can start talking about this guy now and we'll talk about him throughout this track. I, I think the person outside of Prince that makes this album the album is John Blackwell on drums. 100%. I, I mean, Prince has been blessed with a lot of great drummers, but John Blackwell's number one in my book for his, yeah. in terms of who played with him. Yeah. Um, and I think that you're hearing, whereas Prince probably dictated to Sheila and to uh, Tony and all Amer- Anthony Obviously. or the other folks, yeah, like, hey, I need this kind of sound, or maybe even played it for them. Like, I think John just, he just trusted John's instincts. Yeah. And I think, this is a statement I'll make for the album. I don't think there's been a warmer sounding album that Prince has created. Like a more organic, warm. Yeah. You're you're it's like I'm playing live with the band sound. Right. There's nothing that touches this album in terms of that sound. Agreed. Um, so uh, yeah. I'm with you. I was digging into some of the lyrics and stuff, right? So yeah. Queen Sheba, which is mentioned a lot about the Queen of Sheba, right? So um Queen of Sheba is, is, is a prominent figure um in the Glory of King book, which is it's an Ethiopian national epic story right? right and um the story is that that sheba visits solomon's court after hearing about his wisdom and she stays she learns from him for six months but then he tricks her into his bed she becomes pregnant okay she returns to her kingdom where she bore uh, him a son uh <laughs> mel oh, i can't remember again i don't know if i can read this name menelek maybe Maybe we'll go with Menelik. Yeah. Sure. And he was made king, and then he, and then he finds like the next dynasty of Ethiopia, which then that that dynasty runs through ni- till nineteen seventy four. So like this idea of this woman who will bear the son, who will be the dynasty moving forward. Yeah. I think we're finding out a lot here that Prince. I think this somewhat some of this is a reflection of Prince really wanting to have a child, you know, and never sadly never able to have that child with Maite because of the tragedy of that firstborn son right. that he had. But I, there's that craving here. And I think a lot of that is, is in this. He drops um, it within the lyric, the Prober- Proverbs of 31 and verse 10 is mentioned in the, it really pops out in the lyric. That, that is this, a wife of noble character, who can I find? Question mark. She is worth far more than rubies. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fa- fears the Lord is to be praised. Mm, mm, mm. Interesting. Interesting. Thing about the NATO and Otten, I'm with you there. The only thing I could see is that in French, that's why you see it as Otten. In French, NATO is Otten. But I don't think that's what he was referring to. Right. What I did dig up, though, Jared, you might find this interesting. In live shows, and you'll hear this when we get to the um, One Night Alone live album, yeah. when he comes to this part of the song on on during those that tour, he changes this lyric to the opposite of NATO is monotheism. We'll be back after a quick break. A family of blue people from the bright yellow planet take a fantabulous summer vacation trip all over the universe. Young Haon gets kidnapped by giant rats and the whole family almost gets danced to death in outer space, but they still manage to go to intergalactic beaches, county fairs, nightclubs, motels, and they go shopping. 
on the podcast, I'll read from my middle grade novel version, and I'll play songs from the album. So come here, Space Vacation, the musical, and remember, the universe is like a song. Oh, that is interesting. So oh, that's very interesting. Little nugget there, you know. Now he does say one of probably one of the more controversial things he says in this album is there's a line he says where he says, "Holocaust aside, many lived and died, but when all truth is told, would you rather be dead or be sold?" Yeah. So provocative lyric to say the least. There, um, there but, is. There's also some. Yeah, there's something there's something provocative in a later track too. I think that's related to that Holocaust comment. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that we'll when get we get there. When we get there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But listen, in general in general, like the overall song, I think this is a, an amazing second track, musically amazing. Again, I'm looking, I'm a sucker for Prince Mysticism, and he's like like there's layer upon layer. Oh, this is as deep layer. as it gets, maybe. It doesn't get deeper than this. Yeah, it doesn't. So um I'm 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 on board for Muse. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, well, let us move on to track number three on the Rainbow Children. This is titled Digital Garden. And there are a number of songs that feature Garden in the title. There's Gardening at Night by R.E.M. There's uh, Secret Garden by Bruce Springsteen. There's uh, Garden by Pearl Jam. There's Savage Garden. They were a band. What's your favorite garden? The, of those songs? Sound Garden. There's also Sound Garden. Oh, Sound Garden, sure. Um, of the tracks you mentioned, there's some good tracks that you just threw out there. Yeah. I'm a particular fan. And you know what? This might be only because of the uh, of their, their greatest hits release. There was like a... A, a different vocal track use. I like Gardening at Night by R.E.M. Oh, it's a great song. I love Gardening at Night. It's a great I don't know what the hell he says through that whole <laughs> I know, but it's a Let great me just do it. Let me do a quick cut of it. It's like It's like the Swedish chef is singing it. I don't it's know uncanny. what the It's uncanny. From it's the, uncanny. The Muppets. Um, but you want to hear about this, my, my thought about digital. What do you garden. think of the digital garden? What do you think of this garden? Well, this is a short little track, right? But right. I, I love the change in the sound here. Um, the percussion in it, the drums in it. Um, yeah. So, no, I, I, I dig this one. I think it's, you know, it's short and sweet, but I like the change in the sound. I love the change um, there. And I love the war cries. Yeah. Throws in those shouts at the end, because it has sort of an African, Afrocentric kind of percussion sound going on underneath it. And then I like this kind of, Hey, we're going to war now, like that thing. And I also like where the narration goes. I like the way he says um, the lies promoted by the whose papers, televisions, and skagazines. I think that's pretty on the money, right? Like yeah. it's what he's talking about with digital garden. It's about that media stuff and and what it what it could do or what it can do in in you know in its in its worst ways. Yeah. So, I, Again, short, sweet, but I like it. Like, it's not like, oh, my God, the best track, but I think it's effective. And it uh, No, I agree. I mean, I, it definitely feels like a tribal kind of rhythm to begin for me. Yeah. And then it takes off into something kind of spacey, little kind mm. of, you know, outer space kind of thing. His vocal soars out on this. And I think that even though it's short, 
it has sort of movements here, this little piece. Um, and I think to your point, you know, not only about sort of the media, but I think the narrative in this particular track is also about the internet. Yeah. And it's sure. like yeah. you know, the digital garden and its potential to become a haven for spirituality and understanding and how it can be corrupted. And uh, I mean, I do like the cleverness of the line, the banished ones return to their place of birth, Mendes City. Now, right. I wasn't sure about that at first. Like it's sort of the wordplay didn't hit me. Right. And then I realized it's mendacity, right? Which is another word for being untruthful, a place of lies, mm -hmm. uh, which certainly feel, fits this theme. Um, and then we end with the rainbow children in their garden. And it says going door to door, literally. So that's as clear as it gets, right? Yeah. That's, that's it. And so let me say this. While I'm generally personally not a fan of proselytizing, that doesn't mean it's not interesting. You know, religion right. is interesting, even if one doesn't subscribe to it. And it's a, it's a, obviously a major component in the history of humanity. So I think people who dismiss this record out of hand, uh, and by that I mean like not paying attention to it rather than endorsing it or believing in it. Uh, you don't have to be a believer in it to find this interesting. Yep. And I think it's interesting. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think Digital Garden is a pretty fascinating track. And I got to catch up on this. I'm, I'm I'm embarrassed I didn't introduce this earlier, but I I made a, a real effort to bring back smells. <laughs> and I have for Digital Garden, Dust or Dirt. I have for Muse to the Pharaoh, Sweet Violet. Yeah. And I have for Rainbow Children. I don't know why, because it seems like so leather. So there you have it. There you have it. Okay, very good. Um, I don't. I, I uh, don't have any smells ready to go, but I'm going to think about them as we move forward. Sure, of course. Sure. Yeah. All right. So next up, we have the work part one. When our work is done, what do we own beside the right to crawl? See, we're living in a system. Suffering from this devil's most heinous crime Let's try to keep us from The reason that we were born That is the reason living truth in human form But you see I'm willing Ooh. Willing to do the work Let me do, do what I gotta do Jared, what was your favorite part-time job? Oh, good question. Favorite part-time job? Well, when I was in college, I had a part-time job working at a dry cleaner. Okay. Now, I didn't particularly enjoy the job, per se, but what I did like was that I got to drive the delivery. Like, this was a place that would deliver your dry cleaning. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I got to drive the delivery van. Oh. And so being a college kid, being told, like, hey, you got to go do these deliveries. And like, no one told you to be back by a certain time. <laughs> right. You know, I'd be out cruising around in that van, cranking music as loud as I could on, on summer days and then go back and clock out. So that was a pretty good part-time gig. Nice. That dry cleaners doesn't even exist anymore. Well, I mean, probably there was so much gas money they had to spend with you driving around. <laughs> I put them under. I, I said them under, yeah. yeah. How about you? What was your favorite part-time job? I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, I say I'll say this to try to sound interesting, but I think my the one that sticks in my mind is you know 
and I, I did this underage in a, um, a dangerous industry where you have to be 18, but I worked for an explosives company that would, what? wait a minute, what? Yeah, this is true. That would make ex- like explosive material for coal mines, uh, for, for like blasting ground. Blast yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. you would, you, what would you do? You would you deliver the explosives? My little hammer, dud, right? Little hammer, dud. Like, right, if it was, I was quality control. I'm joking. That's that's an old Bugs Bunny cartoon. But no, I would, um, it was basically um, the stuff they were using to kind of, to, to, I guess, do the blasting was basically just like fertilizer mixed with like oil. Like it was a sort of mixture. That yeah. So right. it was like loading trucks with like either bags of stuff or sticks of stuff, which they use sticks if it was wet, like if the ground yeah. was wet. Um and then occasionally I would go out with the team and I would actually watch them blow up some earth. So let me ask you a question. Uh, and I don't want to alarm anyone who might be listening. Yeah. Are we currently on a terrorist watch list right now? I, I would say that both of us aren't. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so hello Jared, to the NSA. Hello. <laughs> thanks for listening. Jared, what do you think about, well, we, we listen between the suspicious death of the queen after you in the UK. That's true. That's true. This, like we're, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's trouble. What about this song, Jared? What do you think? I really dig this music. I dig the music on this a lot. It's slinky, bluesy, kind of funky, great vocal. Again, the message aside, and whatever we think, it's not put on, right? The message is very real. He really believes it, and you can feel that. And it's coming through in the music. To me, he feels fully engaged in it, right? In a way that maybe the last few albums, maybe he didn't seem as fully committed all the time, if that makes sense. Um, I think that might also speak to the warmth that you were talking about earlier, that is full engagement in this project. Um, there's a great jazzy guitar solo on this track, too. It's not as experimental a track as the previous three were, but that's right. okay. It's, you know, it actually, the way I felt was, while the first three are, they're not a struggle to listen to, but they're a challenge. You have to really dig yourself in there. Yeah. The work feels almost like a bit of a relief. Mm. It's, it's, it sounds a little bit more familiar sonically. It's something you can sort of easy, more easily sink into in a way and gives us a sonic break from what's come before. Um, there's also the sound of something like, I don't know, like comets crashing into the earth at the end of the track, you know, the end times, oh, I suppose right. there's like something happening there, but, uh, I don't know the work, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for the work. How about you? I like it. It's not my favorite though. I have to say no. like, well, first let's start off. I think it was clever of him to use a style you know, known by, you know, uh, famously done by the hardest working men in show business. Sure. Talk about the work, right? That was pretty, pretty on on the money, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's nice and tight to me, but I got to say, in his full catalog, in terms of this type of style, I'll take sexy MF over this any day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's not a competition. I mean, like, no, it's not. Sure it is. is. Everything's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but I like top tier funk song, but it's good. Right. Right. Um, I really dig. I think the one thing that's a little different here, he is, he throws a trombone solo in it, which is, yeah. is very interesting um, and, and cool. Another good guitar solo. Again, I think this, the sexy MF one's a little bit more greasy and funky. But yeah. but again, I think it's an effective track. I kind of I'm with you. I like that it's a change of style. So it kind of just resets things a little bit. Um, and it smells like chicken grease. And you love yourself some chicken grease. Let's never forget that. Absolutely. Right. Cool. 
Cool. Well, let's move on to track number five on the Rainbow Children. This is titled Everywhere. Ed, have you been everywhere? Not everywhere. I've been somewhere. But not everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'd go anywhere. Would you? It's better than nowhere. That's true. What do you make of everywhere? (laughs) That was a hard one to get through, but we did it. It was a little, it was a little, it got a little, you know, it's like a uh, absurdist Abbott and Costello routine. A little bit, a little bit. I liked it. Um, What do you make of everywhere? What do you think of this track? I love this song. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I thought about about you in this respect. I remember you saying in our uh, wrap up um, that you felt emancipation was the most joyous he's ever sound. Yeah. I think he I don't think he's ever sounded more joyous than he does in the song. Oh, interesting. interesting. I, I really do. Like, I feel like there's such against again, how you feel about where he was placing his faith is totally your own opinion, whatever. It just feels like he he felt like this was answering a lot of questions for him. And he felt so joyous about, and I, I just, it, to me, it just oozes out of this track. There's such a joy in this track. Um, I didn't, did you know who the female lead singer is to start the track? Cause I didn't, I didn't look it up. Oh, I didn't look it up. But I can look real quick. While you're looking that up, I'll just say a couple other comments. So, I mean, the drumming on this is amazing. Blackwell in here is incredible. It's so frenetic and it's so and the horn line is you know and there's just such like again i just almost can hear it in prince's voice and his vocal like excitement of this revelation discovered by him and it kind of just it just drives through this entire song um and there's a great bass solo at the end of it that's all funky slappy and if you listen at the end the hi-hat work alone from john blackwell is off the charts incredible when you listen to this folks pay attention to that you'll you'll hear it it's amazing how he's working the hi-hat on this track did you find out the female lead i did so i i want to make my apologies if i don't pronounce this correctly but the name is femi f-e-m-i jaya or perhaps it's jia j-a-i-y-a okay that who's that's the female voice on that track gotcha what did you think of this one well, I really do. I mean, I, I'm a, you know, a broken record on this. I really do love that electric piano tone so much. I love it so much. Um, it, it feels warm and a little strange, this track. I don't think I'm as enthusiastic about it as you are, mm-hmm. uh, but I like it. And, it. and if that previous track ended with like the end of days with those comets crashing into the earth or whatever, this is a description of paradise and it is joyful in that way. No question about it. And there's something to that. And also, can we just talk for a quick second about that groovy bass solo? Oh uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Come on, all all day with that. So uh, yes, I I I don't feel as strongly as you do, but I certainly like this track a lot. I certainly cool. like it. A lot. And by the way, fresh cut grass. Okay. <laughs> fresh cut grass. That's good. Yeah, that's a good. One. That's good. That's a good smell. Yeah. All right. All right. So the next track is. One called The Sensual Ever After. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Jared. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything. <laughs> I'm kind of like, what, nothing, what nothing. the hell to even say about, I don't know, ever after. Um, what's your favorite fairy tale? Uh, my favorite fairy tale. Good question. I think if you're going with your classics, uh, yeah, I'm going to say the classics. Yeah, with the classics, I think Hansel and Gretel, because um, I like in the original they get eaten by the witch. Yeah, you always were like that. That's what you always I, like. Kind of I like when it's a little dark. How about you? What's your favorite fairy tale? Favorite fairy tale? Um, yeah, I'd say maybe the 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 three bears. Goldilocks, you mean? Goldilocks, and oh, I'm sorry, I I, I forget. Or do you the, like it, or do you like the version where the bears eat Goldilocks? I like the version <laughs> where the bears eat Goldilocks. Absolutely, you know where we're going with this. I know, yeah. Absolutely. We're not getting off that terrorist watch list anytime soon. Not anytime um, soon. What do you think about this little sensual ever after track? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we got the you know we got the voice again, you know, sort of doing the narrative again. But whatever, it's essentially an instrumental. Really, that's what this is. Yep. Um, and it's got a rhythm. That's propelled by those, I, I think they're congas, you know, whatever those percussion instruments are. It sounds like congas to me, but it might not be. Um, and then the lead sort of voice is the guitar, yeah, uh, yeah. which is great. And then there's another fantastic bass solo in this. And yeah. it feels, uh, sort of stick with me on this. I'm not sure if this is going to make sense, but it feels like hooded somehow. It feels mysterious. Mm. Something's sort of hidden in it somehow. Like you're glimpsing something through the trees, through the vines, through the branches, the leaves, and a garden that's hidden. And then the solo kicks in, and there's, you know, about a minute from the end, and there's this burst of sunlight through the clouds. That, mm -hmm. that's, that's what this, that's the visual that this instrumental track puts in my brain. And I like it. I like it a lot, actually. I like the, I like the, the music of it a lot. How about you? Same. I mean, similar. I mean, I, I think the guitar works amazing in it. The bass works amazing in it. It sounds like it's what I, I think he does with such great effect with these a lot of these segues, these instrumentals. Uh, I mean, this isn't a segue; this is its own piece. But like, it feels and sounds alive enough that it's improvised. But then you 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 can tell because like he starts doing a solo, and then the keys will fall up the same notes, like it'll just repeat and echo the yes. same kind of riff he's doing. And you're like, shit, this was considered, um, but it has the feel and the life of an improvised piece. Right. That's kind of hard. That's going to be hard to pull off. Yes, agreed. So agreed. that's 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 saying something there. Um, this whole the whole thing with him right now with this particular project and this album it reminds me of when Prince was say at his height, say Purple Rain, right? Where yeah. everything, like even the instrumentals in the in that movie, I thought, shit, that's those are some interesting musical ideas. Like when he does the God instrumental in the middle of the yeah, scene, right? You're like, oh, it's like it's like incidental music but it's still kind of like i want to hear more of that right that's how i feel about what he's putting on this album you know i just think that it's just his musical ideas are so rich here and i agree executed so yeah and it's and this is it smells like a shower so it smells like a shower interesting like a passing shower yeah oh like a rain shower you mean. rain shower not like oh i'm going to the shower not a locker room shower no 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 yeah i wouldn't no. be clear on that yeah absolutely <laughs> very good, good. yeah well uh let us move on to track number seven this track on the Rainbow Children is titled Mellow. And do you like Donovan? Um, or do you, do you have any sort of working knowledge of Donovan as a musician? 
I know his song Mellow, Mellow Yellow. Well, that's why I was coming here. Yeah, that's why I was going there. <laughs> yeah, well, besides that, what else do he have? Do you know? Well, the the Season of the Witch is a big one. I mean, you know Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch. That's a really big one. And he's got a great song called Colors and all this stuff. Not that we need to dive into a Donovan podcast, but he's an interesting figure because when he came out, he was sort of heralded as the British Dylan. And then oh. he retired at age like 26 or something huh. and stopped putting out records for years for years and years and years, and then came back. Also, just a bit of movie trivia, his, his daughter, one of his daughters is Ione Skye, who plays John Cusack's love interest in Say Anything. Whoa. There you go. Bam. Just like that, you pulled that out. Boom. That's what I got for you. And Mellow Yellow is a cool track. Um, okay. Sunshine Superman. That's another big track of his. Sunshine Superman. Uh, what do you think of this mellow? Does it make you mellow? Where, where are you? Are, are you? Does it make you anxious? Where are you at with mellow? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, this one makes me so anxious to hear. It makes this me guy. really anxious. A, no, I mean it's it's well named. It's well named. It's an incredibly mellow track. And I have to say, for me, this earthly delight kind of thing that's happening here feels a little bit out of place to me. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Given where we've come from in it. Like, it feels it's a little like, too oh, grounded. A little too grounded for A you. little bit. Like, it's like, oh, here's all this spiritual deep stuff, and then all of a sudden, I, I like, I feel like he just drops this type of track in the middle of it. Um, it just doesn't do a lot for me, frankly, this track. Um, oh. It doesn't, you know? But I kind of appreciate, because it feels like, for me, it's such an, it's been such an interesting journey up to this point. This is like, almost like Prince has given me a breather. <laughs> Like to to take a breather and just after all these stunners and all this kind of like really dense, interesting music, just a nice kind of mellow track just to kind of mix it up. There's nothing wrong with the song. I don't want to suggest that, but there's also nothing here in this particular track that grabs me like, say, the previous tracks have. Well, I certainly agree that it's very different from what we've heard before. I got to say, I actually love this track. I like it a lot. Uh, I figured this was your jam of the year. This is I really crazy. did as I listened to it. I meant that. I, as I, no. I bet you Jared really likes this song. I do. I really like it. This is lounge jazz. It's martini music. It's art deco mid-century furniture music. You know, that's yeah. what this is. Yeah. Um, and I like just floating along with it. It's I do. I think it's a jam. It's laid back. It's easy. I'll say this. I think the line, I want to get lost in the composition of you is fantastic. That's a beautiful lyric. It's a great line. Um, and can I please get a groovy little flute? Give me some of that groovy flute. Why not groovy? What do I got to do to get some flute? Oh, who, so yeah, what good. do you have to do? What do I got to do? It's so good. And we also, interestingly, have references to Common and Macy Gray. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it's right. sort of interesting. So, yeah, I am down with Mellow. Mellow is a jam for me. I like it. But I hear what you're saying. It is not of a piece with the rest of what we've heard, uh, right, right. both musically or uh, lyrically, it's very different. So yeah, I agree. And it, and it's, it kind of pulls out of the narrative a little bit. A so little bit. A little bit. I think it's, happening I think it's story. totally fair uh, criticism to make. And and before we move on, Cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. I'm not a fan of Cantaloupe. Let's do a quick Simpsons uh, story because we haven't done this in a little while. Yeah, sure. So do you remember the episode of The Simpsons where for some reason Bart goes, like he has Mr. Burns's yacht or something. Mm. And he gets everybody, all the guys in Springfield to go on to like a fishing trip. And they decide to go gambling because they're in international waters. Do you remember no, this? I don't, I, no, this, I'm not aware of this. One they get boarded by pirates. Okay? okay. Just stick with me here. They get boarded by pirates. Yep. And the pirates throw everybody into a net. So it's 
you know, Homer and Moe and, and Barney and uh, uh, not Barney. Is that his name? Barney. Yeah, there's a Barney. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the sea captains there and Krusty the Clowns there and all this sort of stuff. So they're hanging in this net and the pirates are threatening to kill them. And Moe says, Moe says, Oh, we're going to die and I never tasted cantaloupe. Eh, you didn't miss much. Honeydew is the money melon. <laughs> yep. Good old honeydew. Everyone craves some good honeydew at any time in their life, right? Cantaloupe. More satisfied than some honeydew. Anyway, moving on. Cool. Let's move on. So the next track is a little math equation called one plus one plus one equals three. There's a few There's a do This is how it's gonna be. What's your favorite odd number, Jared? My favorite odd number, I guess it's, um, well, I guess in deference to our guy here, it's got to be seven. Oh, nice. Nice. How about you? Three, actually. Because it's the magic number? Uh, it's the magic number. And yeah, there's so much tied to three Trinity and all this different things. And I was born on June 3rd. So I've always been like three is like a special little number four. I want to apologize to everybody. Ed's trying to get more birthday presents sent to him don't feel like you have to send him stuff via you know care of when does podcast just because he said his birthday is june 3rd like you don't have to do that ed you shouldn't be come on man like let's have a little dignity about it will you please i would never ask for folks to send to uh my address which would be posted on social media shortly speaking of, i mean speaking of which my birthday's coming up at the end of this month so. oh okay which album was released on your birthday uh, I don't remember now off the top of my head. One of them. I forget which one it was. One anyway. of them was. Anyway. Like, anyway, well done. Well done getting your little plug in there. Bat, bash me about birthdays and then say, by the way, my birthday's coming up in a couple of weeks. Exactly. Um, what, do you th- what do you think about this track? What I like on this track, first of all, is that deep, low bass line. So mm-hmm. what I'm talking about is, so we hear the voice, right? We hear the voice again. Yeah. But again, if you're listening to your Bose headphones, if you're listening to if you're listening to your Bose headphones, there is a super, super low in the mix bass line that's being played. It's barely audible, yeah, but it's yeah. there. And I think it's, and you have to kind of search for it sonically a little bit, but it's there. And it's really cool to hear that. And I'll say that right from that moment, I like the music on this track a lot. It's a, it's a funky little computer or something. And, you know, Take what you want to take from the phrase theocratic order. I feel like there's some problematic things with that phrase, especially today. But um, the music is a total jam. It's a total jam. There are great extra vocals on here, uh, you know, in the background, giving it a lot of colors to dive into, both him and whoever's singing background with him on this. Um, I think, tell me what you think about this, Ed. I think this is a song about seduction, but seduction by way of faith. You know, I want to seduce you into my faith kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what I took from this. Um, we are the banished ones, and we have come to dance, he says. You know, and I think there's something pretty groovy about that. Um, what's interesting, though, about that line is that it's very low in the mix. So, again, you have to really be listening to it in order to catch those things clearly. Um, and, again, whatever Prince may have felt about his faith, whatever we feel about his faith, he was still him. He was still him. 
right? And lines like, we don't give a duck. Clearly, he says duck. We don't give a duck what you got on. You just need to work that sexy body all night long. Well, you might take the prince out of the religion, but you can't take, you know, the prince, the religion of the prince. How's that phrase go? You You can't can't take the duck out of the water, but you can take the water out of the duck. There it is. That's it. That's what we were looking for. I mean, he's still him. 100%. He's still him. And so he might not want to say the F word anymore, but he still wants to do it. You know what I'm saying? No, I think that's a good point. I think that's valid. Absolutely valid. I mean, I have like, yeah, oh, dang, this is funky. This is like, right. this is definitely, I mean, when I first got the album, this was the track I would go back to probably most often in the beginning of my listening to it. Like I would just, because yeah. I loved it because I love, 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 love that erotic city kind of high pitched. I don't know if that's a keyboard or a guitar. Something, yeah. Whatever. Like, I don't know what that is, but like that sound to me is just endlessly funky, like so funky. And you know, has anyone been better at adding like a slap sound to a to a percussion track that it just feels like the stankiest stank? Like he just is able to throw a, a like a slap, yep. add to the rhythm, and you're like, oh man, this is really funky. I agree. And, and I will say, hey, there's a lot of A's in there. All good. <laughs> I will say this though, in my mind, as I listen to this track, there's two, there's two different ideas happening in my mind there's the one plus one plus three which is the beginning with theocratic order which we talked about i'm not a huge fan of the last part song i know it sounds like you really liked it but like that whole like banished ones you know we're gonna we'll have to kick your pants and stuff and who's that knocking on our door all that stuff we're about to get rowdy now like it feels like two different ideas are happening. Like he, he's, he's, he's talking about the one plus one plus three concept, how important that is to him. And then the banished ones returning is like a separate thing coming through. Like, so to me, I'm not as big of a fan of the back end of the song, but I do love that first half tremendously. It's super. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And, I hear you. And last to say, open a bag of voodoo chips. You've got one plus one plus one equals three. Oh man. Voodoo chips are awesome. They're so good. That. Leaving at that. Yeah, I'm a fan of those vivid chips. Well, from there, we move on to track number nine on the Rainbow Children. This is titled Deconstruction. He's awakened from a dream. The news opened her eyes. This time, as Ed, uh, as everyone knows, you're a pretty big Civil War history buff. So if you, if you could, could you break down for us a quick history of Reconstruction and what that meant for the socioeconomic policies of the United States going forward after 1865? Well, if you look at the socioeconomic um, uh you know, landscape at that time. So what yeah. you have is if you look at certain Southern states, right. Um, their, their, their main, you know, industries are two hours later. Yeah. And then Barack Obama becomes president of the United States <laughs> and everything is absolutely fine after that moment. Perfect. Um, what do you think of deconstruction, this track on the rainbow children? I mean, again, it's, it's, this is a shorty, short one, right? Super yeah, shorty, short. Yeah. Real short. Uh, I, you know, conceptually i find the idea of the digital garden when we talked about it earlier like i find it fascinating i think i think that whole like destructing the digital garden and all this stuff i just think it's really interesting and 
you talk about like subtle sounds you're hearing underneath the track. There is some stunning acoustic guitar work. Yes. Going on underneath all of this. There is. Gorgeous. And again, this is just kind of buried underneath the, the level of the track, and it's gorgeous stuff. You got to listen to it. So again, this is a short hit. It's it is what it is. It smells like rain, but it's um, it's it's again. I find it interesting and fascinating. I think it it, it nicely moves the narrative forward. Yeah, I agree. I um, I I don't have a ton of notes on this track. Yeah. Um, only because it was on this track, track number nine where I started to really dive into what I was thinking about the use of the voice, which I'm Oh, yeah, about. yeah. But it was here that I started to really sort of wrestle with what I was thinking about it. I will say, much like you, I agree, the soundscape underneath the narration is beautiful. There's all kinds of interesting sounds in there that acoustic guitar you mentioned. There's also some piercing noodling guitar lines for good measure in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is a... I would love to hear this without the narration. Gotcha. I would love to just hear the music under it. Yeah. So, but anyway, I don't have a ton to say about it other than that, really. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's move on then. So the next track is called Wedding Feast. A wedding. Wedding. Now there must be a feast. A feast. A feast. A smorgasbord at least. A brunch. A munch. A cake is just a feast. Jared, I believe you're married. Is that true? That's what I've been told. Yes. Yes. And um, it's been uh, over a year already. It's been two years. Two years. Uh, two years in August. Wow. It'll be two years. Wow. It was two years in August. Yeah. Um, that's right. Pandemic. That's right. When it happened. So what was the one you must have food item for you to have at the wedding? I know you had a nice little reception in Philadelphia. What was it? We did. We had a really nice reception. Ed was invited, but he didn't come. Um, it was called pandemic, everybody. Just so whatever. Uh, the, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it was. The 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 thing that uh, Christy, my wife, and I both wanted is uh, we, we. You know, we we're not super fancy people, and obviously because of the pandemic, the wedding was very small. But the cake we wanted was very simple. We got it at Whole Foods. In fact, it's called a Chantilly cake. Have you ever had one of these, Mm-mm. folks out there? Know what I'm talking about? A Chantilly cake is just like a regular yellow sponge cake. But it in the in between the layers are um, like jellied. Jelly is probably not the right word, but like sort of slightly liquidated berries, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries. Uh, yeah, and it's got a it's got like a light cream frosting. It's very very light. Oh man! And when that cake is like chilled, it's awesome. I don't know why it's so good, but a Chantilly cake. We could not wait to have it. That was probably what we were most excited about. We okay. love that cake. Yeah. So what's um, Chantilly cake and Chantilly silk? No, no. What's uh, Chantilly, Chantilly lace. lace? Is it the design of it? Do you know? Uh, the Big Bopper makes both of them. <laughs> fair, fair. What's, what's great, what's great, folks, is that we're on Zoom, obviously, and there was just the slightest delay as that realizes the joke. If, and if anybody doesn't know what the joke is I'm making, look up the song Chantilly Lace. And by the way, just so folks know, the pause is me considering if it's even worth the laugh. That's really what's happening. There. <laughs> so is it worth the effort, really, for me to, to use fair. it? To laugh yeah, that's that? fair. Listen, we've been, off, we've been off for a while. This is, we, this is, we're, we're trying to get back into fighting form here. Talking about jokes, maybe. What about yeah. this wedding feast? 
So, okay. Yeah. Good segue. So this is another piece among other things that's extolling the virtues of veganism, vegetarianism, right? We know Prince has done this before. Um, the first verse is sung by Kip Blankshire, mm. uh, is what I found. Um, I couldn't find anything else about young Kip. Kip, um, was, he... uh, Kip was on uh, Bosom Buddies, I believe. Is that true? <laughs> yes, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, it's my life. So, you know, say what you want. Um, <laughs> yeah. The second verse is Prince, and the name that I saw was Millennia. So, sure. Um, I mean, you know, there's not much to this really, and no, no. it's kind of funny. Um, I thought the line will eat under a tree unless it snows. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, but uh I don't this is not a wedding feast that I particularly need to attend. <laughs> I, I would politely decline my RSVP for this wedding feast. How about you? Yeah, this is an interesting track because I don't know, like you think if you take a step back, you're like, what what was the purpose? Yeah. What was the thinking to put this in? And yeah. part of me wants to think, it obviously shows Prince's sense of humor, right? There's some jokes right. that already built into the lyric. I just wonder if he's somewhat poking, taking a little bit of the air out of the narrative to like poke a little fun at Could his be. narrative a bit. And I kind of think that's what he's doing here. And I kind of appreciate that he's doing it, right? Like it's some heavy shit he's going through here. And I like that he kind of pokes fun at it a little bit and lets a little bit of the air out of it. So, um, Again, it's it's I don't know. It's it's interesting to me that he even includes this in there. Um, but it's yeah, it's not something you would go back and play over and over again by any stretch. No, yeah, not definitely not. Definitely no. not. Well, from there, from the wedding feast, let us move on to this track, number eleven. This is titled She Loves Me for Me. She don't care. I don't even have to take her on the road look close to see because this one this one she loves me for me ed um what do you <laughs> yep so you're thinking hard uh, there go uh, for it sometimes see folks for, for those who are a long time listeners you must know this we don't prepare our little generally jokes. We, well we very it's, no it's we prepare we prepare musically for it yeah except for ed's reconstruction conversation his his lecture we we haven't prepared really at all so we try to riff off the top of our heads because sometimes it's pretty funny, at least to us. Sometimes the muse is not there. The muse is gone to the pharaoh. The muse is to the pharaoh, perhaps. Yes. It's not here. So I don't have a joke for she loves me for me. I was thinking of like, is there a joke about she loves you, the Beatles? Eh, but eh, I didn't, that just wasn't working. That just wasn't working. That's true, because like, she loves you for you would not be as maybe successful as she loves me for me. She loves you for you, yeah. You, you. you. Eh, that's not yeah, great. Not Ed, <laughs> coming back to this. Coming back to this, what do you make of she loves me for me? Gorgeous. Gorgeous, he says. I, I, I ooh, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, oh, wow, I'm going to be interested in your take. I think this is a beautiful, beautiful track. Um, Again, there's amazing hi-hat work going on with John Blackwell here. John uh, Blackwell, I mean, I know we keep singing his praises, but the dude is crushing it through the whole record. He's crushing it through the whole record. He's so good. And the guitar, I, I want to read this this note directly, because I, I was taking notes as I was listening or after I listened to the track, and I wrote, the guitar, it, it came out as, the guitar is just Starlight, and I kept Starlight I wanted to write straight up beautiful, but it auto-corrected the starlight. And I'm like, 
I think Starlight's a better way to describe the guitar. The computer knew better than you. Yeah. Starlight's yeah. yeah. I think it actually said better. I love, listen, I love his, that kind of, I don't even know how to describe that guitar work that he does in these types of songs. Somewhat similar to Tangerine, right? On Ray. Yes. Like, yes. But I actually prefer this song. I know you're a big, I mean, I like Tangerine too, but I like this song even more. Um, I love this, the sentiment behind it all. Like that someone at his age and his stage of his fame can, has found someone he feels has loved, loves him, not because of this, but because of who he is truly. Right. And I, I, I just, I just think that's such a wonderful, and he, I think he executes the song beautifully to reflect his feelings about it. So I, I'm, I'm on board for She Loves Me for Lee. I would have loved this to have been a single release off the album. Yeah, I agree. I think it could have been a single for sure. I, I will say this. I don't, uh, don't get me wrong. It's a love, it's lovely. It's a lovely, lovely, lovely song. I don't think I feel as strongly about it as you. I don't think it's as good as Tangerine, for example. I think Tangerine is lyrically more interesting. Um, I think this is a charming, lilting love song. I think lyrically it's not very complex at all, but I, I don't know that that matters. It's, um, it, it is, it's really lovely. It has an undulating, sort of up and down kind of rhythm that I like and it works. And to your point, I mean, I'm sure at 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 this, you know, at this moment in his career, the idea for Prince, of someone loving Prince for Prince Rogers Nelson rather than the star, is is something that's very appealing. However, when I've had that thought, this thought also occurred to me. I think it also does run counter to the myth he created about himself. That he would in that he was prince, prince in quotes, all the time. You know, he became the myth. Um, so I just there's just something interesting to think about there. Just like he very consciously became prince, the icon, and uh, seemingly was prince, the icon almost all the time. And so to say that he loves that someone's loving him. For himself, uh, again, if he's talking about himself here, and as we know, he, you know, he's he was very famously no, it's not about me, and blah blah blah. But if he is talking about himself, there's just sort of an interesting dichotomy there. There's an interesting little like philosophical puzzle, like you know, do you know what I'm saying? Does that does that make sense? What I'm saying? No, it doesn't. But I think the the. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, well, I do, listen. Um, we're also looking for new hosts. To <laughs> no, I, I, I know, I know, I know what you're saying. It, it makes I, sense. I'm not, I'm not articulating it very well. But no, 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 no. It's, I think you, you're doing a, a fine job doing. It. I think it's just that, and this is cliche, but I think they're like, like most stars, there was the public prince and there's the private. Of course, yeah, of course, of course. No, and you know, he was famously private. Didn't give a lot of interviews, so I'm sure he had opportunity to meet people. And like be himself more than the star prince. And I think he could turn that up and down depending on what he wanted to accomplish sure. <laughs> with the relationship. But um, yeah, so I hear what you're saying though. Like he 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 took so much effort to construct Prince. And it's interesting because I think maybe what you were getting at is he creates this myth of Prince with a capital, super capital P, who's a seduction artist and all this stuff. And here he's kind of like a different prince right he's like i don't care about that anymore even though i've used that for so many different songs and so much of my my whole persona is wrapped up in that i'm i'm throwing i'm busting the bubble a little bit here um with this song which might feel a little 
off-putting maybe than than some of the other stuff. Right, right. No, that's fair. That's fair. Oh, and sorry, just to catch people up, wedding feast daffodils. She loves me for me, lavender. Live with that. Very nice. Okay. All right. We're going to move on. To me, this gets into an interesting finish. We'll start talking about it. But let's talk about this next song. It's called Family Name. Bridge. You might say what you mad about. But you still got your family name. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Rosen. I'll be John Blackwell just the same. What's your family name? Jared, if you could pick any last name for yourself do you have one in mind did you ever do you ever consider changing your name be, to, because you're an actor or a writer oh that's a great question you know i never did uh i, I never really considered it so my uh, we probably have said this but my my full name is jared michael delaney that's the name i use like professionally as an actor as a writer and stuff and i always really liked the rhythm of it i think there's a nice jared michael delaney it's got a nice little thing and also i got to say too my name, my last name, my surname, Delaney, means Black River in Irish. Oh. And I always thought that was just sort of a cool Black River. I always thought that sounded kind of cool, you know? That's cool. Uh, so I never I never changed my name, although I know you have quite the tale. Have we told this story before? I don't, I don't think so. I'll try, I can make it quick. I'll try to uh, make it quick. About Ed, Ed once tried to change his, his professional name. Tell, tell us that story, Ed, because it's pretty good. So real quick, yeah. So Ed Miller, dime a dozen, right? Pretty, pretty common. Nothing crazy about that name. So even when I was a young kid, I used to play around with when I became famous, what would my my name be? We went through different iterations of that with my my siblings and we would play around with the idea of it. Anyway, when I decided to become an actor, I'm like, I I need to change it. And at the time I was reading a biography of Orson Welles, and he was traveling in Ireland, actually. And there was a story about when he was traveling through Ireland as a teenager and he got into a Dublin theater. He also was smart enough to get himself a job as a theater critic and would review his own work incredibly favorably. And his pen name for the theater critic was Knowles. No, Knowles, Knowles, Shane was the name, right? Like knows no Shane, right? Jokey. I thought Knowles Shane was kind of a cool name. So I decided this is in Philadelphia where people know me. Now, this is the thing. I'm in this world where I'm meeting new people in the acting world, which I don't know anybody. But I still have my friends from college who know me forever. But I'm going as Noel Shane into acting classes. I'm getting compliments on my name, all this stuff. And I'd have trouble keeping track of which name I was using at any given time. <laughs> I was having, my little brain couldn't figure it out. I'd be doing acting yeah. exercises and be like, my name, they'd say, meet someone, say your first name. I'd be like, hey, my name's, Ed. I mean, Noel, you know. But I'll try to get to the end of the story. I'm out and about in Philadelphia and I had this one. A encounter which is was very rare where i met a, a very attractive woman told her my name was noel shane we hit it off she loved my name whatever compliment my parents i said and then um we went out to dinner everything was great and this is how old the story is this is back when we were answering machines um oh, yeah. the day after the dinner i came back from wherever i was working the lights flashing that there's a message so i excitedly run over to see if it's i think her name was jessica so I, I i hit the play button and jessica's like hey no this is jessica i had such a great time last night love to go out with you again and i just with such enthusiasm just grabbed the phone dialed her up and i got her answering machine and i said hey jess this is ed <laughs> i mean no 
if you want to call me back again. And he never called me back again. No, she never called you back. And I said, I realized my little brain was not going to keep these names straight, and I should just go back to being Ed Miller. Now, having said all of that, which I love that story so much. <laughs> if anybody out there listening wants to write Noel Shane some some fan mail, some fan letters to Noel, you can reach us at WhenDovesPodcast at gmail.com. I can't speak for Ed, but I know that Noel will be very glad to get those fan letters. Jessica, if you're listening, Ed, no harm. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Jared. I appreciate that that yeah, desperate shout you're out. Welcome. I, what do you think about the? I got your back. Thanks, buddy. What do you think yeah. about this song, "Family Name"? Okay, so this is a fascinating track. Okay, um, it starts off as like a scientific treatise about colonialism, race, all done in this, you know, Stephen Hawking style computer voice kind of thing. Then it becomes a funky protest song right about the same kind of things including the hypocrisy of religious leaders history teachers consumerism etc it reminds me in spirit if not in tone or style to a, a lou reed song called straw man um which is uh it's on lou's 1989 album new york which i have said many times is one of my top five favorite albums of all time um, that's another album, uh, song rather that is sort of a rant against various things. Musically, this is a jam. This is a hardcore jam for me. There's great, 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 great drumming on this track. John Blackwell crushing it again. Um, there's a great vocal on it. There's a dark and slashing guitar solo at the end that bleeds into MK's speech from the March on Washington, which is also fascinating. So, were you familiar with this reference, Akashic Records? Not did really. Anything? No. Okay. So, I wasn't familiar with it either. So, I did a bit of a dive into it. Um, and it's pretty fascinating. And there's two things I'm going to, or three things I'm going to touch on here. So, first of all, Akashic Records, spelled with a capital A, A-K-A-S-H-I-C. Akashic Records are supposedly a compendium of all universal events, thoughts, words, emotions, and intent ever to have occurred in the past, present, or future in terms of all entities and life forms, not just humans. Wow. They are believed by theosophists to be encoded in a non-physical plane of existence known as the mental plane. So that's one definition of akashic records i looked up the word akasha a-k-a-s-h-a -A -A. akasha is the sanskrit word for sky mm. so that's also interesting now here's a real rabbit hole thing i fell into and i had to yank myself out of because i was fascinated so there was also for a very brief time a very small record label that was called Akashic Records. Okay. Hmm. It was run by a man named Craig Vincent Smith. Now, Craig Smith, Craig Vincent Smith, he died in 2012. So he's been gone for 10 years. He was a songwriter and a musician. He wrote songs that were recorded by Andy Williams and Glenn Campbell and the Monkees, among others. Here's where it gets interesting. 
He claimed to have mystical powers and thought he was the Messiah, including being king of the world by the year 2000. He also claimed to be a reincarnation of Jesus, Buddha, and Hitler, all at the same time, which is quite an interesting interesting combination. He also had some run-ins in the late 60s with the Manson family in California. He released a couple of soul records on this Akashic Records label, this independent record label that he founded. The, the titles of those records are Apache and Inca, and he claims, or he claimed, rather, to have played every instrument on those records, not unlike our guy Prince here, which I think is interesting. After those records were released, his mental health got worse, and he challenged a friend to a fight to the... <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. He challenged a friend to a fight to the death with samurai swords and also had a Black Widow spider tattooed in the middle of his forehead. He physically assaulted his mother and was arrested, and he was sentenced to a psychiatric hospital. He had various run-ins with the law after he was released from that hospital, eventually became homeless. His beliefs morphed into, from sort of a spiritual thing, into conspiracies about aliens. And when he died, his family refused to collect the ashes. Wow. And a journalist, there's a journalist named Mike Stacks, S-T-A-X. Mike Stacks wrote a book on Craig Vincent Smith titled Swim Through the Darkness, and he has the ashes of Craig Vincent Smith, who founded Akashic Records. Wow. So now, I don't know that Prince knew of this guy, but if he did, that's pretty fascinating. I think it's probably more likely the first thing that he found this reference to this compendium of everything that existed on another level. Yeah. But um, I got to say, this was a rabbit hole that I did not expect to fall into. And wow. it was pretty fascinating. Um, so that's my little bit of info there about that, family name. That's crazy. And that would get his name was Jan Michael Vincent. What did you say his name was? <laughs> Jan Michael Vincent. <laughs> Airwolf. Before he was on Airwolf, he did the Craig Vincent Smith. Oh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Craig Vincent. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna order a copy of this book. Swim through the darkness. I'm, I'm, I want to learn more about this dude and how great he was and all these things. I mean, ill. He was very mentally ill. But uh, I mean, and I, I kind of want to track down these records. Yeah, I think it's worth it. See what they sound like. I'm yeah. With. Anyway, um, that's my thanks for my little sidebar there on family name. I just thought it was such interesting information all the way around. It is um, it's fascinating. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. What do you what do you make of this track? Well, it smells like fried onions. You know what I'm saying? So we'll start with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like Jim's steaks. Yeah, you know, like the beginning's a little silly, right? Because it's like, you know, the beginning of that, it's like, you know, uh, tighten your butt cheeks and you'll get an electric shock. Like, I don't know you don't. But like, after that, that, I think the, yeah. the information is interesting. You know, I, I think yeah. um, term of black and white, this or that, I kind of dig what he's trying to say there. I like where he talks about the minority becomes the majority, right? I, I kind of dig where he's going with that. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm on board for that. And then, you know, the transition into the family name, like you said, the more the protest song the whole structure of that song's genius like it's really great like the way he just does like mirror mirror devil devil teacher teacher preacher preacher like to start the yeah. different miracle tr- the different verses you know really well done i i think this might be one of his best 70s style funk songs that he's ever put together like i just think it has yeah. that kind of yeah. 
that groove to it. And like you said, there's a great guitar breakdown in the middle. There's roaring guitar at the end. Um, you know, it, it reminds me um, in the middle, there's like a breakdown and it feels like there's a subtle nod to this, to the song, what's your name, which was yeah. one of the, uh, the songs there in the middle of the song. And then I love the ominous run after he does that Thomas Jefferson quote, right? Like, I just think it's, 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 it's great. And John, again, Blackwell, I mean, now we keep bringing up his name, but him on the, I mean, it's just, him on the drums is just insane. It's He's just, the MVP of this record. He really is the MVP of it. Did you dig into this? I tried to find any, something regarding this. I can, I'm, I'm coming up empty, but he says about devil, devil, you got to go. You've been, you've been here since one nine fourteen. Yeah. So I'm assuming he means January 9th of 1914, I think, but I couldn't quite find, I didn't know what that meant. So that's a, this is a great question. I also saw that reference. I thought he just meant 1914, the year in total. Oh. But maybe, Maybe he oh, no, that's a good point. It could be just 1914 in general. I right? thought that was just a, I thought that was a reference to the First World War. Oh. World War One started in 1914. And I guess you can make the argument that that was the beginning of man's like globally destructive cycle. Maybe that's that's where I, I sort of fair. That's a fair. I think that's pretty probably on the money. That's probably on the money. That's where I went with that in my head. So, yeah, all good. All good. No, I'm I'm a fan. I think I think these last few songs he puts together here, this is the only thing this run that compares in my mind is the end of Purple Rain. Like when you go when when you go like I would die for you, baby, I'm a star. Purple Rain. I yeah. think similar flow here with Family Name, and we're going to talk about. Am I up next to announce? Uh, I'm up next. We're talking about the next track, which is number thirteen. It's titled "The Everlasting Now." Ed, were you a fan of uh, of uh, House of Pain? I mean, not really. I mean, I, they're one song, you know, jump around, but beyond that, no. Yeah. What was that? They had one other single that was kind of good, and I can't remember what it was now. I was only thinking of that because of Everlast was the name of their MC. Oh, the MC I, I didn't know that. There you go. See? So nice. my joke didn't really work on you. Um, I, I don't want to delay too long on this joke. Because you want to talk about this this track, go ahead. Just dive right in. What do you got? Go. Oh, I mean, this is this is again. This is this is the baby. I'm a star of the of this album in my mind. Like this is the great great segue from MLK to the We Want Prince right in the beginning. The chanting, the crowd noise, whatever. That slap bass, sure. Forget Let's it. Some slap bass in this, Forget right? Yeah. You know, and then great shout out to sly like i love the stories he's telling within the lyrics you know about these different people the brother on stage you know was the rage and then until he changed the colors of the flag like just good stuff like right on the money sly stone stuff um again going back to the baby i'm a star thing like there's a that vibes here that energy's here for me but the star is above like it's not him as a star it's like the joy and the belief of something above and greater and that's what he's seeking, and that's what this this joy is and this energy. Whereas the energy in that previous song was just about him being famous. This is about tra- your trajectory, looking at the right star in the sky. So I really find I found that really very cool. Um, 
another great guitar solo. And how about a little Santana guitar break in the middle oh, of this God. Let's do crazy it. Let's funky song, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love, I find it very amusing. I thought it was fun where he does that little breakdown where he's like, you know, Prince used to be all funky. I just like his old material. Why are you just playing me like that little slap? Yeah. yeah. Love it. I, I, I'm a big fan. I think the song is, is, is what a great way as we're starting to end, get to the end of this album and this concept. Great track. Yeah, I, I do. I, I like this track a lot too. I mean, it sounds like it's live, uh, of course, in front of an audience. I don't believe it is that 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 audience sound is added in. Yeah, uh, post production. Uh, we want the bass though. Indeed, that chant. We want the. I mean, come on with that bass. It's killer. Um, I think the line, "A school that teaches that teaches men aren't fit to rule." That's a pretty progressive thought. That's an interesting thought too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. Now the second verse. Yeah, so. The second verse is ultimately it must be about Sly Stone. I mean, it must be. Yeah. But I also thought that the first line of the verse was maybe about Prince uh, or about both of them. You know, sort of this. I I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but it seemed like that. Um, But clearly the line like the everyday, there's the everyday people reference, the flag reference, as you mentioned, which I presume is a reference to there's a riot going on. I think so, yeah. I mean, it has to be. And let me just say, for folks who don't know that record, Sly Stone's, Sly and the Family Stone, there's a riot going on. Get it. Uh, you got to listen to it like right now. You got to stop what you're doing and listen to that record right now. And yep. and just by, again, way of like information that probably a lot of our listeners know, that album title is a reference to Marvin Gaye. Because Marvin Gaye, of course, it could just come out with what's going on. And, you know, certainly no one here is going to impinge upon the honor of what's going on. But Sly Stone didn't dig it. And his answer was, there's a riot going on. Yep. So it's not all peace and love, Marvin. You got to yeah. do something else. And even just that aspect of that record alone makes it worth a listen. But anyway, that's a digression. Yep. The song, uh, The Everlasting Now, it's a total groove. And uh, I do think, I'm not sure about this, but I do think it does have a bit of a mixed message lyrically. It's, it kind of bounces back and forth a little bit about what it's about, you know, here and there, different things. However, having said that, it feels tonally like it's all in the same, like if it's not the same ballpark, then it's like the same state park. It's in the same national park or something. Yeah. You know, it definitely feels that way. There's more great drumming on this track. I know we're repeating ourselves with that, but it's great. There's a great breakdown towards the end of the track with sort of Caribbean rhythms, uh, those Santana rhythms uh, before sliding back into the funk. Um, it goes on, moves from place to place. There's And there's also even a little jazzy piano there at the end, which I love. A little jazzy piano at the end um, before we come to the breakdown. And it's great stuff. The Everlasting Now is great stuff. It's great stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Why don't we move on to... Oh, by the way, Cotton Candy. So let's... let's um, we'll move on to um, the final track on this on this album called Last December. Gonna put you on the spot, my friend. Yeah. Last December, long December. <laughs> I know you're gonna lean towards long December by Counting Crows. I know no. you're a big Counting Crows fan. First of all, 
Okay, listen, everybody was listening. It's just saying that to bother me. Um, I, with all respect to any Counting Crow heads out there, I loathe the Counting Crows. I hate that band. I did. I don't understand this about you. I, I never hate will. that band never so will. much. I never will understand this. It's just they're terrible. They're a terrible, terrible band. Uh, although I understand Adam Duritz is a good dude, and I'm sure that he is. But God, I can't stand their music. So last December, for sure. Um, <laughs> So this track, so so first of all, it, it's edited. It's edited with the previous track, right? They bleed together. Um, those opening chords are reminiscent of Purple Rain to me. Absolutely, right? they're not the same, but they're reminiscent. Um, there's an interesting melody vocal hesitation between "Last December" and the word "came," that first line, which I think is curious rhythmically. Um, so let me say this. Like a lot of people of strong, committed faith, Prince grapples with death a lot. The concept of it, what it means, what do you face after it? Um, like, you know, what have you done to, to prepare yourself to head into the next world, if that's what you believe? Um, and in fact, I would argue that of all the legendary, iconic, world-shaking pop stars, rock stars we've had, none of them have been as preoccupied with death as much as Prince has. Mm. And again, I don't. I want to be clear. I'm not saying he had a death wish. I'm not saying nothing like that. Nothing gloom and dark. But I think he thought about it a lot. What it meant. What it means. What is the spiritual uh, ramifications of death, etc. I think he thought it. I think he thought about it a lot. You know, where do we go? The meaning of it, being worthy of it, looking back without regret. Um, Last December is a very preachy song, but I don't mind it. Um, Further, it has a totally atonal breakdown where it becomes bluesy and aggressive, which, again, I think is consistent with thinking about the end times all the time. And I think that our guy did. I think he thought about it a lot. Um, there's always a little darkness, a warning, right? Like a warning bell before the before there's paradise, before paradise comes. Um, because then, musically, after we have this aggressive bluesy thing, then it becomes very melodic and it floats, uh, floats up into the sky and. By the by, great bass in that floating section. Great bass lines in that. And there's also there an angelic choir of voices in the mix. They're mixed low. They're low in the mix, but they're there. And then the breakdown becomes kind of mysterious, kind of hard to read, much like, in my mind, the mystery of faith or the mystery of the apocalypse, however you'd like to put it. Um, and then, And then we come back to the sermon that he's giving about what you do in your life, and did you do all that you could? Uh, I'm not a believer in his faith. However, having said that, you cannot deny his utter sincerity in it, which has been with him his whole career, really, right, in one form or another, and that comes through. And finally, we have the chorus, uh, hand claps, people talking, people walking, cars going by, something, the sounds of life, I suppose. Um, 
And then we have the word one that is played, it's repeated again and again and again as it fades out. After we have that, we have six tracks or 28 seconds of silence within an additional 14 seconds of silence on an additional track. Then the repeated one, the word one, comes back in for 24 more seconds, growing louder throughout. So what I can say is this. I'm not sure this is a track that I would revisit often, or at the very least, revisit all the way through to the end again. But it's utterly, utterly, utterly fascinating and compelling. Um, and I'm still wrestling with it. I'm still wrestling with what to take from it, how I feel about it personally, what do I think about it musically. Um, I don't think it's as strong of a closing as The Everlasting Now would have been, because The Everlasting Now, I think, is more joyous, and this feels a little bit more judgmental to me. Mm. Or or maybe that's not the right word, but um, admonishing. Like we're you need to think about what you're doing with your life, kind of thing, as opposed to saying the paradise or whatever, right? This is sort of saying you might not get there unless you sort of turn your act around. And I'm not sure that's the best note to end on. I'm not sure about that. So anyway, as you can see, my feelings about this are very complex. Um, they're kind of all over the place. I turn it over to you, you make of last December. Oh, I mean, I I really liked your 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 analysis of it. I, I think it was really well done. Seriously. So, I mean, I, I don't have it, that. Didn't bother me the idea of it being preachy and or judgmental. I didn't quite feel it was. I think it was more the idea of coming together as one. The idea of just it's just a reflection. Like, have you like if you know. When you look yeah. back at your life, have you done all the things? And you can you can really expand what he's saying here. It doesn't have to be like you have to be super religious, but it's like just generally that idea of reflecting back if you're at the end of your life or you realize you were coming up to your the end of your life. Have you done all the things you wanted to do? Did you love people as much as you could have loved people? I mean, I know it's it's maybe a little cliche, but like I didn't see it as such a, a damning, judgmental um statement from Prince. I didn't feel it that way. I mean, I, I honestly no, think. I don't, let me just be real clear. I don't mean to say that it's damning. I don't think that it's that, but I do think it's a little bit of like I'm pointing my finger at you. I'm looking at you a little bit. I'm no, checking. I'm checking my list, and I'm checking it twice. That's, that's a Prince thing. thing. I mean, like you know, and we'll we can maybe mention this as we get to the end of this about the whole um, Kevin Smith listening party yeah. documentary thing, um, which right. we can probably talk about maybe a little bit, but like. You know, during the Love Sexy tour, he asked people to raise their hands if they believed in God. I thought that right. was a little off-putting in a public setting to be like, you know, like, oh, I believe in God or I don't believe in God, like putting people right. on the spot. But he was one to do that. He was one to challenge people in that way. But but back to the song specifically, this is the Purple Rain of the album. I I, I, I think he consciously thought of it that way. I mean, like you said, even the way the chords play, they're not as, say, sophisticated as the chord progression of Purple Rain, but they're similar, right? It's the same type of idea. Um, I think this is, in my opinion, one of his top three album closers. I think this really brings it all home. Oh, wow. Okay. It, like, I don't agree with that. The but way I, that, I, like, 
I know you don't, but like in a way that I don't think gold did, like there's other ones that I, I know probably you probably prefer that I just don't think match this in terms of its musicality, the guitar work. And honestly, and I mean this, like I've heard this song many times, I literally through the movements get past the lyrical part of this, right. went into instrumental section toward the end. I just sat here shaking my head in amazement about where the music was going throughout the track. Like, I'm like, you think, Oh, there's another musical idea and it's rich. Oh, now he's going into this other direction. This is even, this is richer too. Like it was like building for me every time he made another choice musically, which was drastically different than the last one. It worked for me. And I sat here just going and like as much and listen, Purple Rain's its own thing. But Purple Rain was Purple Rain. Like there was just there was a certain mel- melodic feature and set for that. This was go. This goes all over the place for me. And it keeps getting better and better musically as it goes through its phases. So I'm I'm a big fan of this one. Um, and I, and I want to note, too. I throw out the name one last time. I think I'm pretty sure this is the only time you're going to hear even just a hint of a drum solo in a Prince song, a well-deserved drum solo from, from John Blackwell. Absolutely. He earned every second of it. He earned every second. I think that's Prince saying, you know what? I got to give this guy cred. He's influenced how this album sounds and he needs to get his little spotlight a moment. So that's fair. I'm, I, I think this is a great closer for this concept album. Totally fair. Um, so that brings us to the end of Rainbow Children. So, Ed, we're going to do our categories right now. And just to let people know, Ed alluded to this earlier, we decided to drop our track that shows the future category because, you know, as we're coming towards this, you know, back third of Prince's career, the future is very present, right? So we thought that it, that didn't make any sense anymore. So we've added a new category that we're calling Best Musical Moments sort of a singular moment that we love so much on the album. It could be anything at all. Uh, We encourage you guys to tell us what your favorite musical moments are. But our other tracks are the same. Favorite track, least favorite, most interesting. So, Ed, let's start as we do. What is your favorite track on the Rainbow Children? Well, I start season three with another tie, which I know is 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 being, you know, whatever. But I, I, I the, the tie for me is the, the track everywhere. Yeah. And one plus one plus one equals three. Uh, that makes total sense to me. Uh, I so what I wrote down is I think it's mellow, but I also dig one plus one equals three a lot. Wow. Uh, I, I also want to say I also love the Rainbow Children a lot. So There's, it's hard. It's tough. It's and, tough. For, and for me, like I said, I the last three songs on the album, I think I know you're not a big fan of, of Last December, but I'm like right. only named to Everlasting Now to Last December to me are like monumental. No, like, totally fair. Anyway, uh, if you had to pick, what's your least favorite track on the Rainbow Children? I'd love to hear that. I would, I would extract mellow from the. Well, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me because <laughs> the way you feel it doesn't fit sonically. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. If I had to pick, I would say Wedding Feast, only because it's not a song really. It's yeah, it's like yeah. a joke. It's like a lark, and you don't really need it. Um, what do you think is the most interesting? This is tough. This is a tough one. Most interesting it's, song. It's Rainbow Children. This okay. Track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you could certainly say Rainbow Children. I, it's the whole album is interesting. Everything is interesting, but I think I'm going to go with Family Name only okay. because there's so much happening in it. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Family Name. Okay. Um, what is your best musical moment? I picked two, if that's okay. Sure, it's okay. So, and I'm going to be okay later, but it's okay now. <laughs> so I have two. So it happens to be off my two favorite tracks. So. 
Um, the song Everywhere, but starting at 117, it, it's 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 when the lot the last lift comes up in the song where Prince is to me, it's it's the most joyous I've ever heard Prince music musically in his career. Um, is that when it starts at 117 and goes forward, is that last drive home? It's 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 classic to me. So that's the one. Second moment is in one plus one plus one equals three at two minutes and 36 seconds. Um, it's when that there's a solo of that instrument, whatever that thing, that high pitched guitar keyboard. It's the funkiest 10 seconds of the whole album. Fair. I'm impressed that you have the times down, too. I didn't do that. Uh, oh, boy. What about you? Well, uh, you're not going to like it, but my my favorite moment is that flute in Mellow. Oh, I love wow. It. Okay. I, I, uh, it just jams. And I think the flute is like, the flute occupies an interesting, tiny little corner of the jazz universe. And it doesn't really get its due as a jazz instrument. And when it's done effectively, where as it is in this track, I really love it. It just jams. Okay. All right. Ed, um, give me, give us your overall impression of the rainbow yeah, of the album of the album this is a stunner for me you know I, I like i was saying at the top of the of the pod like i just feel like it's a realization of so many things for prince it's a it's the concept album that prince couldn't quite accomplish in the 90s he really wanted to do one right like from the symbol album to the gold experience and we felt like it was kind of uneven when he was trying to do concept it didn't quite fully come together for him i think it comes together here right and and again, I know people don't love the voice, people don't love the content, but this is Prince, in my opinion, being unabashedly him. And that I'll take any day over any other album. Like, I just think he's being himself. And you can tell in how rich the music is that he's putting everything behind this, this, this belief, you know? Um, and it's that belief that's the glue that holds everything together, you know? Um and I, and even though the narrative of maybe I don't agree with necessarily the belief system, but I still find it interesting. Like you said, it's interesting. It's still interesting. It's very interesting. And and I will tell you, this album, it's a top three for me. This is a top three album for you. Yeah. So it's this sign of the times in Purple Rain. Yep. Wow, interesting. Wow. I mean, be in Purple Rain. I mean, Sign of the Times would be one. Purple Rain two, probably. Right. Then be three. Right. Probably. Yep. Fascinating. Well, let me say this. I, I do. I think um, the Rainbow Children is an unjustly maligned album. Um, I think people gave it a lot of flack because of the overt spirituality in it, or the re- religiosity might be a better f- phrase for that. And of course, the weird use of the vocal distortion. We've talked about that at length. And listen, I'm not going to say you know that it's not difficult to listen to. It is. It can be, but you can get past it and it's worth it because there's so much happening on this record and it's it's worthy of deeper exploration. There's there's good stuff here. And what's more, you know, as we're going to explore later when we get to the One Night Alone live, um, these songs play outstanding live, yep. probably yep. better live than they do in the studio, in my opinion. Uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about that release when we get there because these tracks just fly in front of an audience in my opinion um so Ed, having said that how many prince symbols out of five do you give the rainbow children i get 
principles. 4.75. That is high, high praise indeed. I'm not going to go that high. I'm going to go, I'm going to go like probably three and a half, three and three quarters. Um, mostly because there are challenging aspects to it that do make it tough to get through at first listen. But, um, I think Ed and I can both say to anyone out there listening who's never given Rainbow Children a chance or you haven't tried it again in years, give it another listen. Absolutely. There, there, there's music worthy of your attention on this album. I promise you. Absolutely. Can I, couldn't agree more. Um, excellent. That's great. Uh, so we have a new feature. Ed, and we're calling the future musicology. Musicology. We're calling our new feature musicology, folks. And the idea with this feature is, is that we want to. Ed and I are both going to bring in uh, something we think that you, the listener, might be interested in listening to if you don't know it. That somehow we think ties into this record is related to the record. Something that that sparks a connection for us. And something much like how Prince did, he introduced, you know, for example, talking about Sly and the Family Stone here, for example, um, something that we think might be a worthy tie-in to this. So we hope you'll come along with us. And by all means, also tell us what you think are good companion pieces of music that fit with, with the album in question. So for our first edition of Musicology, Ed, what do you got for our new feature? I'm going to go down uh, probably, I forget what year this album was released, late 60s maybe, but I'm going to go with Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. Yeah. Um, it might have even been mentioned in one of the reviews you you mentioned, um, but um, a lot about it. I mean, it's not an easy listen, particularly this is this is Miles going kind of jazz fusion, a lot of elect- electronic sounding instruments, you know, coming out of some of his great quintet, quartet phases in the 60s. Um, but it like brings Herbie Hancock in a lot of a lot of big names um, to come and play with him. Different sound. Not only the sound of it, because it has that fusion and that kind of interesting electronic sound going on. The songs are very long. There's only a few tracks, but they're very long and they kind of go all over the place instrumentally. Very interesting percussion. It's a very Afrocentric piece of work. Like, I think if you if you've never seen the cover, we'll get to the, you know, the um, dig, if you will, picture segment soon. But like. Um, not quite the same as Prince, but similar. It's like it's more illustration and drawing, but very Afrocentric, like um, voodoo, almost like mass stuff going on, like really kind of all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Been through. yeah. Um, so I would give it give it a try if you have a, have a listen. And I would say as a second, this is a cheat, but like I would also say, like Jared mentioned organically in the pod, go out and listen to uh, there's a riot going on. Listen to it right uh, now. Yeah. But like, if you want to go a little deep dive and like, just are interested in a journey and and willing to take a little adventure, give bitches brew a try and see if you can see what you think of it. Yeah, excellent. What about you, Jared? Well, my my uh, musicology uh, pick this year. Well, for this episode, rather clearly, as folks know, we're we're jazz fans here at When Dove's podcast. We're jazz fans, and Prince was a jazz fan. And someone who's a big big favorite of mine is Bill Evans. Yeah. Bill Evans was a pianist and a composer, um, and uh, while he has a ton of stuff that sounds like you know what you expect jazz to sound like, and I mean that as a compliment, um, he can also go out there into some strange, really groovy places, as he does on my recommendation, which is the, his 1974 album, Symbiosis, that Ed is also very familiar with. Here, here. Uh, it's just five tracks, five movements. But it goes into all kinds of incredible places. It starts off 
you know, sort of, I'm saying this in quotes, like normal jazz, but then it gets weirder um, and, and, and stranger and compelling. And I think it's a good companion piece to the Rainbow Children. And, and by the by, we know that back in the day, Wendy and Lisa recommended Symbiosis by Bill Evans to Prince to give a listen to. Yep. And so who knows what kind of effect that had on him? Maybe none. Um, no, it did. Can I kind of interrupt you to say it? Absolutely. Please. If you guys, and I know some of you guys out there who are Super Prince has probably already have this bootleg, but there's a legendary birthday show Prince does in 84. So June 7th, 84, it's the birthday show. Someone recorded directly from the board. Um, there's a song called, um, oh shit, I'm forgetting what the name of the song is now. Um, My Destiny. The beginning of it is actually a sample lift from Symbiosis directly. There you go. The horn play, like, eh, it's it's coming directly from Bill Evans' album. So, like, that definitely had an impact on Prince, that album itself. So, great suggestion on your part. There there you go, folks. So, for for our first edition of Musicology, we are recommending Bitches Brew and Symbiosis, Miles Davis and Bill Evans, respectively. Give those a listen and let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of those records, what you, how you like them, if you don't like them, what your own suggestions are. We're here for it. So that's this week's edition of Musicology. Awesome. Now it is time for Dig If You Will. A picture. Dig If You Will. The picture. Ed, uh, what do you make of this picture? What do you make of this cover? Love it. Love it. One of my favorites. Yeah, and I gotta tell you, I didn't realize until later that this was a was actually a painting. Yes, I have all the information on this. If you have it, no, I'll let you. I'll let you do it because I, I did look it up, but I, I forgot to jot down the name of the artist and all those different things. But um, I'll let you tell that story. But um, I had one of my a, a list of favorite moments at Paisley was walking down a hallway, going towards near his sound stage. There was a piano there, hanging on the wall was this picture. For yeah. rainbow children, yeah. I think it's a. Go- I, I thought it was actually a depiction of the band MPG, right. um, only to find out later, and you'll give the details that it was a painting that Prince had actually purchased from an yeah. artist. I think from Detroit was it? Uh, she is from. Uh, it's a he, isn't it? I thought it was a he. No, it's a it's a he. Yeah, sorry, it's a he. Yeah, in Detroit, correct. Gotcha. Yeah, but yeah, I'm a big fan of this, and like. I did until afterwards. I realized that it, if you look at the full sleeve, Prince is standing like in in the crease of the sleeve. Yeah, um, looking all Prince cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is definitely a topper for me. This this album cover, I think it's great. I, I agree. I think this is his best album cover since Sign of the Times. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's evocative. It's full of so much feeling and motion. And it tells us something about the work we're going to hear. You know, this the, it's jazz led by an all-female backing band. I, 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 it made me wish that he had used other artists' work more often. Yeah. Um, so this this is a keeper for me. And here's some information about about this. Um, so the artist, I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to pronounce this correctly. So my apologies to the artist and anyone who knows how to pronounce it correctly. The, his name is Sababi Bayak. And I'm not, again, I'm not sure if I'm saying it correct. It's C-B-A-B-I. So I'm not sure if that's correct. But Mr. Bayok is the artist. At the time, 
His work was on display at a place called Dignity House, which is a program of neighborhood houses. Um, oh, it wasn't in, it wasn't in Detroit. Ed. It was in town. It was in Collinsville, Illinois. It was outside of Chicago. Okay. So um, Prince had asked some staff of his to go to Dignity House and drop off food and other items for their after-school program. And the artwork impressed the staff members so much that they took some photographs of the art and took it back to Prince. And Prince loved the name Dignity House because he felt it could really empower kids. And when he saw the artwork later, he loved that too. So he reached out to Bayok to buy his paintings. And Bayok said this, quote, He originally bought five paintings, but about two years later, one of his people called to ask about buying some more. I sent him some photos, and he bought three of them. Then a few months later, a young woman with his organization called again to buy the rights to one of them for use on the album cover. So the original title of this painting is the Rain Peace Quartet. Mm. And again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but Rain, R-E-I-N-E, if it's pronounced Rain, Keese, K-E-I-S, that's uh, Balak's wife. That's the artist's wife. Gotcha. And he painted it after she he she suggested to him that he make more paintings of women. And he said, because, quote, because Prince bought all the rights, including naming rights, he renamed it the Rainbow Children. It was a big honor, but I didn't see how big it was until I started to get email from places like Japan and Australia from people wanting prints of the image. I couldn't provide them, he said, because Prince had all the rights, but it was exciting to know my work was being seen and liked around the world. Um, even with all the attention, all things Prince get, Bayok is still very modest about his achievement. He said, quote, you never know what's going to happen. You just keep doing what you do. But it does give me a special feeling to know how many people cherish that image. Absolutely. There's a little background for this uh, very special edition of Dig, if you will, a picture. It is a gorgeous cover and absolutely one of his very best. No question about it. Cool. All right. So, Ed, are you ready? Yes. It is now time for the fan favorite feature. I know everyone's been like chomping at the bit like, yeah, this is all interesting. Can we please, please get to a question of you? To the question of you. You can get to the question of you for you people. Yes. So, uh, what is this week's question for you? It's got to be about John Blackwell. It's got to be about John Blackwell. So here's the question. What famous funk band did John Blackwell play for before joining the MPG? Ooh, excellent question. So I'll give some additional hints. Yeah. The popular era for this band was, say, late 70s to the mid 80s was probably when they were most popular, I would say. And an additional little piece of trivia about this group, their original name was actually the New York City Players. And then they changed their name to the name of that they were known for and had some big hits, definitely in the mid 80s. All right, folks, you heard it. So tell us the name of the funk band that John Blackwell played in before the NB NPG. And uh, as always, you get it correct. You're going to get a shout out on the show. We're going to get you some swag for a sticker or something if you haven't received them yet. Uh, I still feel like we have stickers to get out. <laughs> we still owe people stuff. We still right? <laughs> stickers. But we are going to do that. I promise, I promise, I promise. So hit us up. Uh, you can shoot us uh, messages on Instagram, on Facebook, 
on Twitter, of course. And don't forget, you can get us on our Gmail, when doves podcast, all lowercase, when doves podcast at gmail.com. So that is this week's question for you. Yes. Excellent. Now, Ed, I do want to mention something before we wrap up this first episode of the first season. So uh, as folks know that, uh, you know, doing a podcast, we don't do it for the glory, obviously. <laughs> we're not doing it for the fame. We're not doing it for for any of those things. Uh, we're doing it because we like doing it. And we're doing it because we have fun with each other and because we have fun with you, yep. our great listeners, who we all love so much. Having said all that, sometimes it costs us a little bit of money to put up When Doves Podcast. So Ed and I are considering creating a Patreon page for When Doves Podcast. Now, we don't have all the details worked out on this yet. We're going to get to it soon. But what's going to happen is um, for a certain amount of money, you're going to pledge a month. There are going to be certain perks that come your way, extra bonus episodes that are only available to subscribers on Patreon, some different kinds of swag that we promise for real that you will actually get, not just stickers, yeah. um, and also opportunities for uh, what what else, Ed, like uh, interview requests? Yeah, I mean, I think you can help us create content, like what kind of show you could request a show, like I want to hear a show about Prince's best guitar solos or whatever. Right. Or a show about his best side projects or whatever it might be. Or not to just seem like comp- completely like we're just like it's, you know, bribery, but hey, I'd like to be interviewed on the show. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 we could entertain that idea. With, with, we could entertain that idea. So that's something we're going to be doing, and there'll be more information about it coming in in in, uh, in recent weeks. We'll have more information about that, and we'll let you know as it develops. Um, we hope that maybe you'll consider being a Patreon member of When Devs Podcast. We'd be very grateful for your support, as we already are. As we are, and just and just to, to highlight what Jared said about like it's sometimes it, it it does it's not like we're going into the poorhouse, but at the same time like. We have to pay for the hosting rights or for the hosting of the show every month. We have to buy equipment like like microphones and different things and also purchase the swag. Right. So yeah. um, so just a little help there would be uh, appreciated about, from you folks. If you can, if you can, if you can, if you can, if you can. So but but, but listen, don't anybody worry about it just yet. We're going to have more information uh, hopefully really soon about more with more details about how this is going to work and what what we're going to be doing and we'll get that to you as soon as we can next week oh we're going to be back with our next episode what are we going to talk about next week Ed? um pretty much the theme for my life which is called one night alone we're going to be talking about one night alone that's going to be the next one we're going to be talking that's talking like Ed, what did you do last night i just had one night alone that's yeah, like well you know if you had fun. if noel hadn't screwed up with jessica maybe <laughs> We're going to be talking about One Night Alone and also probably what we'll do, folks, in case you're checking your uh, Prince bingo cards, we will probably touch on rave into the Joy Fantastic. I know people are, you know, oh, wait, don't you got to be chronological, blah, 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 blah. Take it easy, everybody. That's a tough one, that one, because that was sort of a that was a club release. If you're in this club, otherwise you really didn't have access to this album. Right. But and it's really just a remix album. So we'll we'll touch on it. We'll talk about it a little bit. But yeah. the, the main focus is going to be on one night alone. That's what we're going to talk about next. So uh we're so glad to be back. I hope everybody yeah, had yeah. a great summer and that the autumn has started off uh in a good way and everyone is healthy and well and, and school is good and work is good and life is good. Absolutely. 
Agree. Yeah. 100%. Um, so uh, until next time, we here at Dove's Podcast say, May you live. To see the dawn. See everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.